The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code DIESHRING for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. All right, on with the show. And welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom. I am joined, of course, by my co-host, Dan. But then I will also let both of our guests introduce themselves. Hello, uh, I am Tech, and this is... Rogue. And we are from the channel Tech Deals. And we are very uh, pleased and privileged to be here uh, with uh, Moore's Law is Dead today. Thank you very much for having us back on the show. This is our second time here. And uh, we look forward to talking about uh, 2020 and looking forward to 2021. Right. So this is, and I'm sure most people who end up listening to this will know this is like part three in the series. The first part was me and Dan looking at the end of 2019, early 2020. And then I talked about most of 2020 with David does tech stuff. And so this is kind of wrapping up the year and also just kind of making good on us saying we wanted to do another one this year. What was that like halfway? I I swear it was end of May or early June when we did the first one. And I remember you saying we should do it again next month. And I'm like, we should. We will see. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, you know, a month, six months, same difference, right? Yeah. I mean, I it's hard to realize um, like the best way I like explain to myself, like just remembering how much has happened this year is actually and it sounds stupid, but how many TV shows I've watched from start to finish. If I were to actually add them all up, I'm like, this is, this is definitely twice as much as a usual year. And I, and it's, it feels like it was two years ago, for instance, that I like watched Ozark or something. Yeah. And it feels like a really like, because I, I stayed with Tom for about two months this year and that feels like an eternity ago. I finished my first semester of school, grad school and everything. And yeah, just a lot's changed for me since then too. Yeah. yeah Dan moved. From Eastern Massachusetts to Western, yes, big move. <laughs> that he's he, he's a regular Oregon Trail player. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will say, traveling through Massachusetts, it is much more of an adventure per square mile of travel than going like going from Peoria to Chicago is like a straight line for two hours. <laughs> and going through Massachusetts, Dan, how many uh, smaller Eastern towns did you go through? Um. Uh, a lot, like 10, 10. It feels like it just switches from city to rural in like a two mile span. It's really weird. All right. Well, I guess on that note of driving through Massachusetts, this <laughs> is a gaming hardware podcast and exclusively that's all we talk about. So let's get into actually the first thing I want to talk about really just kind of to set the table. I, I'm sure we talked about this last time, but w- what was on if I don't know if you remember Tech and Rogue. What was on your mind to your memory going into 2020? Like we were just done with the RTX supercards. RDNA 1 was out. Zen 2 had just launched and we were wondering how soon Intel would make a comeback. Like how were you thinking about all of these companies in the tech space going into this year? Well, I thought that Zen 3 would come sooner than it did. I figured we'd get it in the summer and not 
at the hmm. towards the end of the year. Um, I thought that uh, Big Navi would come sooner than it did. And I was kind of hoping all that would be here this summer. But obviously, 2020 happened and we all know what happened. But Intel's response with their 10th gen was good and it wasn't good. I mean, on one hand, there were parts of it that I was pleasantly surprised with. I wasn't sure if they were going to put hyper-threading on everything. And when they did, I was happy. I think I th- the funny thing is that 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 detail continues to surprise viewers uh, and listeners. I, I mention it even still today <laughs> sometimes and they go, oh, but I thought those didn't No, They changed that because so, that happened in May and May got lost in obviously the 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 world events going on. Um, what did you what did you think going into 2020? Basically what you said, that everything would just come a little sooner, but it didn't. And everyone's waiting. 2020 has been the year of waiting. <laughs> How many people throughout the whole year said, don't buy Zen 3's coming. Don't buy Big Navi's coming. Don't buy X's coming. Mm-hmm. And it Me. just kept being a few more months. And then a few more. And then they come and look at all the video cards you can buy. And nope. Well, well, that's the thing, though. If you actually look at sales, uh, they're good. They're selling them. Like, and like, I, I think the bet, like another a good comparison where we have firm numbers on, whereas in the PC space, you usually don't really get the firm numbers until a couple quarters after they're sold. I mean, at least the next gen consoles are outselling their previous gen consoles by, at least with the PlayStation 5, I think it's close to a two to one ratio. The PS4 wasn't a bad seller. So using that at least, which we know the numbers on, there's no way around it. Yeah, it's hard to get it. It's because people are buying it, though. Like, the people are just... I, I think I, I was listening to a podcast. They said demand, especially for high-end goods, is up 40% this quarter compared to last quarter. So, I mean, I, I don't really know what you can do. I mean, the Xbox is outselling the Xbox One. The PS5 is outselling the PS4 by a large margin. It's not that they're not making them, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, I, I think... Uh, would you agree that one reason why tech stuff is selling in huge numbers is because half the population is sitting at home and thus? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Course. Yeah. And I understand. And, you know, I think I see a lot of people. It's very hard. You know, I've talked to Hardware and Box about this, and he says it. It's very hard to review anything right now because it doesn't seem to matter what we say or how good it is. It just sells. Like I think I said on a recent podcast, you know, I don't even think you can say nvidia and amd are competing with each other they're competing with demand they're not like it's not competition when no matter what you make whatever you poop out whatever shelf you put it on it sells that's not competition because there's nothing stopping it from selling or not selling everything's just selling even go to ebay and you see rtx 2060 selling for almost 400 dollars used so i mean there you go right there right i'm like it no it's not just the new stuff you can't get anything and I'm told that we should look out for RAM price spikes soon, too, by the way. I have been recommending to all of our viewers to take the opportunity to upgrade the RAM if they've been sitting on less. These price drops don't last for, I mean, RAM prices, looking back over decades, they go up, they go down, they go up, mm-hmm. they go down. And, and people get used to a low price and figure, well, it's dropped. It will always be cheap. It's how it used to work a little bit. <laughs> well, I you know, do re- at least relatively speaking. Well, I remember though, like when I bought my first uh, 
when I bought my first like sticks of RAM, I think I got a pretty good set for like of d- six gigabytes of DDR3 for like $35 or something. And that many years ago, many years ago. And that price didn't, you couldn't match that price a few months later for years. <laughs> like, yeah, you're right. If, if RAM prices are good and you kind of need more RAM, just get it. <laughs> Because you never know when it's going to get bad. That's what it's kind of the advice for everything now, though. Do you need it? Get it, I guess. If you don't, prices have doubled. That's kind of what I'm telling people. But And people are willing to buy it. That's the thing, though. And I get why. They know this is the winter where they can't outdoor. It's cold in a lot of places now. So outdoor dining's gone. Hiking's gone. Running with the dog outside is gone. For most people who don't want to run below freezing. And so it's like, well, if you, there was going to be one winter where you were going to coop yourself up in game, I mean, now is the winter. And so I think there's a lot of people that just actually do have a lot of money and are willing to spend twice as much. Well, just take a look at the uh, the day one launch numbers. Over 1 million concurrent Cyberpunk 2077 players on Steam. Jesus. Everybody's sitting at home playing video games. And I think, yeah. Cyber, I think Cyberpunk 2077, that got like, I think it had 8 million pre-orders or something on it. Like one one of the biggest launches of all time for a game. 8 million pre-orders? I, I heard that. That's that's half a billion dollars. <laughs> yeah. <That's> <laughs> they made their money day one. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Half a billion here. Nice. Half a billion there. Pretty soon it's real money. <laughs> you know, I mean, hopefully they can take that money and get it running above 40 frames per second on a 3090. That would be awesome. <laughs> Do you guys remember The Witcher 3 in 2015? Not really, honestly. No, we no. were never really into The Witcher series. When The Witcher 3 first launched, if you wanted to play consistently over 60 frames a second, the only card that would do it was a GTX 980 Ti. Oh, yeah, yeah I'm sure. And I know it's not that hard to run anymore. Well, it's an older game now. so Yeah, but. sure. I, uh, very budget cards will do it. But back when it came out, if you wanted 1080p, not 1440p. If you wanted 1080p ultra, 60 frames per second, it was 980 Ti or 980 Ti. <laughs> yeah, I had yeah. a patron reach out to me today and say, what settings are you running Cyberpunk at? You know, I have the same monitor as you. And I went, I'm not. I'm not going to get it until the game's done. I have this crazy principle where I don't reward launching games that don't work. And when I look at the last gen consoles, I actually do think those people deserve their money back. It runs at 20 frames, like 500p. It freezes constantly. People look like popcorn if they're more than like literally they look like popcorn. I mean, honestly, I, I, I just told him, you know, look, as far as I can tell, if you play it at 1440p or lower at high settings, you can probably hit near 60 but just you got to give up on 4k or ultra in this game and no it's not going to look as good as a lot of other games out right now at those settings but hopefully you bought the game because it's fun to play isn't that why you buy games i'm sure there's a lot of people who are going to load up cyberpunk and go well i have an rtx card okay 4k ultra ray tracing go what's wrong (laughs) it's not working the one um positive appraisal i have about cyberpunk 2077 is that it runs the guy i know says uh his 1070 runs it fine at 1080p that's that's about all i've heard though yeah i've actually seen in 1080p medium settings it runs perfectly fine so again i I think um it's also the bugs though is what make me say I, i i just don't understand like at the end of the day 
am I looking for more games to play right now? And the answer is no. I have like 20 games, in, at least, that I own that I haven't even touched or I played for five minutes and need to get back to. And so I don't understand the rush. And, and I think this is going to be like I saw a CD Projekt stock crashed at the after the launch reviews came out. And it's like, well, you know, uh, we'll see what happens. I think, you know, I, I think that this world, I think there was a lot of buggy games that it started to somewhat become the norm that we accept bugs and day one patches with the PS360 gen. But that's because you had these launches of like Assassin's Creed, Call of Duty 4, Battlefield 3, games that looked and played and did things that Skyrim, we didn't have Fallout 3. We did not have games like this in the previous gen. And so people accepted the bugs. But I think, you know, 10 years, 15 years later, there's such a backlog of so many excellent games. And I do think games are getting better, but it's much more iterative now. It's much less what there's a game called Assassin's Creed where I can, you know, like that there wasn't even a game like it beforehand that I think a lot of companies are still coming to the terms with. If they don't launch the game in a working state, people have other options, whereas you didn't really have other options. If you weren't playing Fallout 3, you were missing out on an entirely new experience. And so I'm basically saying like that's if people are wondering why their stock price went down. It's because they're going to have a lot of problems. And I just think these companies, they probably should have delayed the game again. Like, I don't understand. You, you have one launch and that's it. But, I mean, you know, they wanted to meet the holiday season when everyone's stuck inside. So it's not like I don't understand their decision. But I don't yeah. know. You got, do you guys disagree that they should have waited until February and launched it in a far better working state? I mean, I would almost argue they should have canceled the last gen versions. I think that's obvious. Um, have you seen the screenshots from the last gen version? <laughs> oh, probably. <laughs> I've seen a lot of stuff. <laughs> Why? Yes. Uh, I, I I looked at them and there it's 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 uh, it's insulting to call it the same game. I I agree with you. They probably shouldn't have even tried. I mean, obviously they want the money. Um, it's hard to argue with the money. It's easy. It's easy when it's not your money and your stock price and your income and your budget to say they should have canceled them. But it's, it's kind of, it's, it's like the old joke. Um, I can't hear your complaints over all the money. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. So I want to go back to Zen three. Cause the one interesting thing that you said is that you expected it to come out earlier. And when I look at at least the other tech tubers I'm used to seeing and give their opinions on things, I was in the minority for thinking it would come out this year. Most people seem to think Zen 3 would come out next year. It's interesting you thought it would come out in the summer. Like, I don't know if you can, if you have any thoughts on why you thought that, or if that's, you don't know, that's just what you thought. Uh, I thought it would come out in the summer for a couple of reasons. First, it's on the same production process as Zen 2, 7 nanometer. It's a refreshed 7 nanometer, but it's not a new architecture, a new platform, a new chiplet design. Well, it is actually because it's an eight core <laughs> CCX, but it's a it's a refresh and a refresh is usually easier to do than an initial launch. And it seemed to me to be something that they could just sort of transition into making. Um, it's the same reason I've been telling people that, it, it, you know, earlier in the year, if they wanted to buy a Zen 2, I got a lot of people who were saying, We'll just wait for Black Friday's Zen 2 will be half the price. And I'm like, why? They'll just transition all the seven nanometer wafers to Zen 3. They'll just stop making Zen 2. 
Mm. Everybody waiting that's for one hundred and forty nine dollar thirty seven hundred X, I thought was out of their mind. I thought that six months ago, because <laughs> why would you do that? Um, twenty seven hundred X was one forty nine because so twelve nanometer global foundries. The thing with Zen three, though, is AMD promised. AM4 through 2020, they'll release Zen 3 now. We'd have a gap while they prepare Zen 4 on AM5. And they've released a new CPU line every year. So why would they skip it? You, you, you need <laughs> well, a new I mean, product to sell every year. I think, you know, it's not really, I, I, I think it, it's not really a refresh though, right? It's much easier to do, certainly, than going from Zen 1 to Zen 2. But it's like, and it is, I believe, I think it might literally be the same IO die, but the actual architectural level, it is a new architecture. I mean, it runs 20, 30, sometimes in some applications, 50% better at the same clock speeds. I don't think that's the same as Zen Plus though. So I think I, that that's, at least that's where my argument always came from. I'm like, it's going to take more than a year, but I don't think it's going to take a year and a half. Right. And I think a lot of people thought it would take two years for some reason. I wasn't expecting Zen 3 to get the IPC level improvements it did, to be honest. Mm. Okay. A lot so of you, people were surprised. I was also in the minority for thinking, no, I think this will be huge. So you thought I, it would be closer I to like a Zen Plus? I closed the gap to within 5% of Intel. I thought, okay, they'll, they'll clean up the Infinity Fabric and CCX issues. They'll do some tweaks like they did from Zen to Zen Plus where they fixed latency and and improve clock speeds a bit. But I was not expecting you're you're right. It is it well, it's a big upgrade, but I would also argue, um I've had a lot of people ask, should I upgrade from like a 3900X to a 5900X? And I'm like, probably not. <laughs> it's, it's it's an improvement, but is it enough to go and change your computer and spend $550? It's like if you're going to upgrade, do two gens, not one, but that's me. I mean, I would make the same argument with, I, I honestly think for most of the Zen generations, you may, you should make that argument. Like even if you just have an 1800X, I would say, are you gaming at 120 hertz? If you're not, there's literally no reason for you to upgrade. Like, like if you're just at 60. And I mean, I, when the whole, when Zen 2 was out last year, Dan chose Zen Plus. 150 for an eight core at four gigahertz. Yes. And and I do think that's a good point though of just switching over to seven nanometer for Zen three, like why they would Zen two and never get as cheap. I think it, again, it's it's really frustrating to talk about any of this though, because it it like half of the reason Zen two's prices haven't gone down is because everyone's just buying everything. <laughs> Let's be honest. But yeah, I never thought it would get as cheap as Zen Plus, and that's because it can't. Zen Plus is not monolithic, but almost monolithic, right? It's not, it doesn't, there's this added cost when you have to package an IO die and one or two chiplets with Zen 2. That means there's this floor in pricing that it'll never be as cheap to manufacture as these single chiplet Zen 2 chips, you know, like they'll, it could never be that cheap. And so that's why I still wonder if they'll continue to manufacture Zen Plus for a very long time. Well, regarding, um, Graphics card launches recently. I, I do have to say the one thing I'm happy to see is that the 30 series from NVIDIA is at least the kind of performance jump we like to see in a graphics generation, unlike the 20 series over the 10. Yeah, 
I think, you know what though, you know, I think I'm just going to throw this idea at you because it's, I do think it's worth bringing up. The Titan RTX was 40% stronger than Titan uh, Pascal. The 3090 is 45% stronger than the Titan RTX. Um, in many ways, I would argue they just actually priced the 2080 Ti and took off a gigabyte, called it the 3080. And it's, I, I think it's, it is a bigger performance uplift than Turing. I just think that they, it, they just actually moved the product stack down one peg. It's, it's actually only about five to 10% better than Turing over Pascal. Like, I think a lot of people miss that because they made the 3080, which is the 102 chip. Right. They made that 700, whereas before they made it, well, I don't know, 1300, whatever the 2080 Ti sold for. <laughs> well, in theory, the 2080 Ti was 999. Yeah, I know. Um, but, but, but let's the continue only, on the only that. counterpoint I'd make to that, you're not totally wrong there, but the core design changed with Ampere and the Turing count was a big went change. up. The design and performance per core changed, but give it, okay, I don't want to steal AMD's fine wine idea here, but give it six months to a year of game development and driver updates. I think the gap between a 2080 and a 3080 today will be smaller. If you test games two years from now on a 2080 and a 3080, the percentage difference will be larger than in two year games from now, in games two years from now than in today's games today. I think it'll grow because- You're saying Ampere will grow in performance relative to Turing. That's what I meant, yes. Yeah, um, I'm not sure I agree. I, I actually think Turing's pretty powerful. You know, we're talking about 700 millimeter squared plus monster chips. They're on 12 nanometer, but they're also a huge die size. They, they have GDR6. They, you know, I think- I'm not sure. What do you think, Dan? I think that Turing is, and I think Pascal aged fine too, by the way, until recently where apparently the 1080 Ti is just starting to finally drop off a cliff in performance in some games. Uh, but yeah, what do you think, Dan? Uh, I would say the big thing I want to look at is, and we'll see if whatever launches they have in the future on the 30 series. I think the main thing to look at, in my opinion, is how constrained will that 10 gigabytes of RAM be over time. And I guess it's 10 versus 11 gigabytes, so it might not make that big of a difference. But my main concern is the RAM side, uh, the amount of RAM the 3080 has. Um, maybe that won't be an issue, but I think that could make it age more poorly than you would think it would. Well, and I think a lot of people forget when Titan Math, uh, Maxwell came out many years ago, um, like in, what was that? 2015 or early 2015, I think. I don't know. Um, you know, I remember Shadow of Mordor having 12 gigabyte texture options. I remember game developers going, okay, here's a 12 gigabyte card. Let's start adding support for giant textures. And then the 1080 Ti 11 gigabyte comes out. And then the 2080 8 gigabyte comes out. And I think Texture resolutions have really stagnated on PC for years because high-end cards aren't getting more RAM. And I think the one thing that might change this is the fact that the 6800 actually has 16 gigabytes and the 6700 XT will have 12. So I think, you know, 
we're going to have to see. I guess what I'm saying to Dan is, were it not for Big Navi, I think developers would have just continued to build games around PC where they don't actually use more than 10. And you could have even seen a situation like you're seeing already. Already in Assassin's Creed Valhalla, the PS5 version runs higher object settings than max settings on PC. Like, yeah. this is a thing that I don't think people realize they're getting stagnated by not increasing VRAM sizes and such. What happens when the TI 3070 and 3080 TIs come out with more VRAM? Well, uh, I don't think true. they will. I think, well, I, 3080 TI will, yeah. But you don't, you don't think a 3070 TI is coming? Based on what I'm told, it's 10 gigabytes. So they're I basically not, just going to sell the 3080 again for a uh, cheaper price and pretend the 3080 never happened. That's my understanding, honestly. It's a cut down. It's like a five percent cut down. Thirty eighty is what I'm told. But you know, I don't. I don't think so. No, I don't think. I think it was a tricky decision. I think they look at the ten gigabyte thirty eighty, and they had two choices. They could launch a sixteen gigabyte thirty seventy Ti, which would lose in performance to the thir- this you know to the uh, sixty eight hundred. So okay, or they can launch a ten gigabyte cut down thirty eighty and call it the thirty seventy Ti. And that will match the 6800 in performance, but have less RAM. I think that's the decision they're going to make, right? That, that's what I think. They have all types of stuff they're considering doing, but I just don't see them putting a 16 gigabyte card for 600 below their seven or eight hundred dollar 3080. I would have actually thought they would come out with a 3070 Ti with 16 gigs of RAM at 700 to match the 3080 price. Uh, because then you're left with the choice to want a little bit less performance and more VRAM, or do you want a little bit? I, 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 or do you want both and just buy AMD, right? <laughs> and so I think NVIDIA decides, well, that would nuke our entire product segmentation. I guess we just have to stick with 10 now. That's what I think they're going to do. That's what, well, and that's if what they have launched the 3080 with more VRAM to begin with, we wouldn't be in this mess. I agree. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they could have. <laughs> 10 well, gigs sounds, is such a dumb number no offense nvidia but it really is it's actually a bizarre number and i did a video on this as well if you look at like testing on igor's labs and um, a few other places it's clear gdr6x uses a boatload of energy because of its different signaling method relative to normal gdr6 and you have to ask yourself why they didn't just give it 12 gigabytes of normal gdr6 12 gigabytes of normal GDR6 at 16 gigabit per second speeds is actually slightly more bandwidth than the 10 gigabytes of GDR6X in the 3080. And it's actually probably would have cost the same. So I don't know why they did. And you know, these are just facts. It is more bandwidth and it would have been cheaper and it probably would have used more energy. I mean, less energy. I can't help but wonder if there is some reason NVIDIA did that. I, I really wish I could get a hold of someone who would admit what the decision was. I, I honestly think there's some combination of the memory controller used more energy than they expected. Right. Because like, I don't know. Um, Rogue, what do you think about VRAM as somebody who doesn't benchmark and test these things, but is just as a consumer who plays games? Well, what I'm thinking about is because I've been doing the tech news network, so having to read a lot of stuff. One of the articles that I have an episode coming on about is uh, the CEO of Take Two and his comments on the photorealism that is coming in games. Mm -hmm. So from a consumer point of view and also doing what I do with the tech news network, it's like, well, if photorealism in games is coming, 
and there's not enough VRAM to handle that. I mean, just look at Cyberpunk. Mm. There's a gap between what the game developers want to develop and what the companies want to produce for the consumer. Mm -hmm. There's a huge gap here. So it's kind of like who's holding who back? Did it seem like the CEO of Take-Two Interactive would just wish everybody would have 16 gig video cards? Oh, 20 easy. 20 gig video cards? I mean, he didn't talk about any of that, but yeah. I mean... It would make the job easier. Much, much easier. It's I mean, funny you say that, Cinematic quality coming to you in your... I mean, there, from reading his article, it almost seems like the video, the movies that you watch on the big screen that quality is going to be your video game. Mm -hmm. But there's no product out there that can handle that. Well, I I don't think the companies are thinking forward ahead enough. Do you guys think that that is more compute limited on the GPU or is it VRAM limited? Would would having a lot more VRAM allow better textures and more photorealism or is compute holding it back? I mean, I think it's undoubtedly both, right? And and it's funny you mentioned that, Rogue, because I was speaking to a developer and they were saying that what they were begging for NVIDIA to release isn't a 2080 Ti Super. They want a 2080 Super 16 gigabyte. That's all they want is that level of compute and more RAM. They've been begging for this forever. Just coming back to AMD for a minute, I wasn't jumping up and down about the launch Navi cards last year, the RX 5700 XT, because it took six months for the drivers to not suck, in my opinion. But I have <laughs> to say, yep. um, I was cautious about RDNA 2 until I saw that even the 6800 had 16 gigs of RAM. And I thought, you know, it may not be perfect and its ray tracing performance may not be as good as NVIDIA, but Finally, we've got a sub $600 card, in theory, obviously, <laughs> in with theory, 16 gigs of theory. VRAM designed for the mainstream. We've been stuck on 8 gigs of VRAM for, what, five plus years? RX 480. Uh, <laughs> all the way since then, all the way since the $240 RX 480 is 8 gigabytes been standard. Of course, NVIDIA... Uh, innovated by bringing eight gigabytes to the $800 price point. <laughs> um, speaking of consoles, really quick sidebar. Do you feel that the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X have enough memory in them? I mean, I, I guess I would say overall, I, I think I was hoping for 24 gigs on either. Yeah. Just, just blanket statement. I was hoping for a 24 gigabyte unified RAM pool on both consoles. And, you know, people get mad at me for saying this, but look, at the end of the day, um, the PlayStation 5 is running higher resolutions and frame rates in Assassin's Creed and um, several other cross-gen games. And from the developers I've spoken to, that it's like there are some pretty severe memory problems with the Series X already. So I think you've got to talk about them separately. One of them has unified 16 gigabytes and an SSD that's meant to offload some of the RAM usage. And one of them doesn't. So, <laughs> you know, I, 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 and this is when people attack me, but those are the facts, you know. Do you, so you feel that the PS5 is technically superior to the Xbox Series X? I would say games benchmarks show that. So, yes. Well, the only reason I say that is because sometimes it's like 
I remember during the the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360 days when the PlayStation 3 theoretically was yeah. better, more cores, more kind of. It, it had more <laughs> stuff, but cross-platform games were developed sort of for the lowest common denominator and so do you know which console back then had segmented memory? The PS3, hence the performance problems. <laughs> but it's kind of like when you look at the PS5, it has a better pixel fill rate. It has a better SSD. It has unified memory. Most third-party games show an advantage. It is what it is, whereas with the Xbox 360 and PS3, the PS3 was harder to program for. It had segmented memory. Not only did it have segmented memory, but it only had half a gig of RAM. So that was kind of a nightmare of memory management. <laughs> yeah, Rogue's eyes just got huge. Yeah, and 360 had half a gig too. <laughs> but but it was unified. Develop is happy, not why not? But see here, that's why I asked about the about the 16 gigs in the PS5. The PS3 and the Xbox 360 had 0.5 gig. The PS4 yeah. and the Xbox One had eight. That was a 16 times leap in memory, and yet the next gen only has a 2x. What happened? I think you got to solve the problems you got to solve, right? I think they said, I think it's about, and again, I've given this spiel before, it's about removing the latest bottleneck as much as you can. So I think they talk to developers and they're like, yeah, not enough RAM guys. And so they're like, okay, let's solve that. <laughs> and so they talk to developers this time. And my understanding is certainly 32 would be better, but they said, we need more RAM, but for the love of God, can you give us an SSD? And they said, we're not just going to give you an SSD. It's going to be half the focus of the console. So I think at the end of the day, we're going to have to see how it pans out. But my understanding is they can stream in assets. And again, I, this is such a minefield because this is where people attack me. I'm not literally saying the SSD is RAM. I'm not. <laughs> it isn't. But I am saying it has similar bandwidth to DDR2. And so there are some operations now that can offload into the SSD, right? That they just could not before. Will we see a PS5 Pro and an Xbox Series Y with 32 gigs in two Series years? Y. <laughs> I think I, I think I said this. I might have said this on the last one. I think in 2023, we get a Series X 2023 edition mm -hmm. uh, and a Series S 2023 edition. I think, and I'll like eat my words. Your cars. Yeah, and I, I'll eat my words if I'm wrong, but I think Xbox, at least right now, based on the brand naming of their consoles, is moving towards a more of like a soft half-gen refresh constantly. A series, the Series yeah. X, the 2023 model. Buy this in the new BMW. In the PS, in the PS5, I'm not sure if we'll see a mid-gen refresh this time around or not. I, my, what I would lean towards is no, and it will be a shorter generation for the PS5. All, all I can communicate is people at Sony tell me they don't want to make one. Having said <laughs> that, they didn't want to make a PS4 Pro. So why do why don't they why don't they want to make a PS5 Pro? Because well, I mean, I mean, I'm not saying I necessarily agree, but they kind of hated. They didn't like launching the PS4 Pro. They were like, oh, we put all this effort into designing the of you know this one console. All of our games are built around it. Here we, but the fact of the matter is, once you moved from 28 nanometer in 2013 to 16 nanometer in 2016, you know, eh, 2016, yeah, they said, well, we can make a stronger chip for the exact same price. 
So it would be dumb for us to not make a PS4 Pro. <laughs> like, and I think with the PS5, they they would rather launch a PS6 sooner. So my gut, it's not even a gut. And again, I want to be clear. I wouldn't put any money on this because I do think anything could happen. But my tentatively, I think there's a 2023 Series X and Series S. And then there's a 2024 or 2025 PS6. I think that, and if you think about it, this has been a seven-year generation, which is just weird how long this one was too. I, I, I think they were waiting for the newest technology to be ready. Uh, I think that's kind of what they'll do again. And instead of waiting that extra few years, they'll just launch it sooner. At least, and, and that is actually what I would advise them to do. You know, instead of launching a pro in 2023, I'd say just launch the six in 2024. Why not? You know, you have backwards compatibility. It's x86. You know, you can launch probably an RDNA 4 Zen 5 console in 2024. Just do that. What's the point in a pro? Just make it this big, bombastic launch. We have a next-gen console. It's kind of like how I look at it in between the iPhone model, where they have one every year, and the old console model, where they take forever to launch something new. I'm like, maybe we meet in the middle. That's what I think they should do. And there's no reason for a pro when there's backwards compatibility, right? Like, I don't understand why make a pro. Just make a new console. Well, regarding expectations, um, Here's what I would put my $1 gentleman's bet on. Mm -hmm. I think that um, Microsoft is pushing very hard for their Xbox All Access. They don't want to sell Xboxes. They want you on a payment plan with either $25 or $35 or whatever dollars a month where you get Game Pass, which they have. I mean, they just bought Bethesda for billions of dollars and immediately Star Wars. All new Bethesda games would be day one. They did the deal with EA, EA Play, boom, it's included. They are putting this push to turn it into a service where it's 24 months of payments, which would coincide perfectly with a new console every two years. And so you just keep Mm. trading to a new. So I don't think it'll be. They're not really doing that, though, are they? Are are Um, they doing a payment plan thing? Right now, though, I mean, I know Amazon probably offers one, but are they officially? Because yeah. uh, it's offered through GameStop, through Best Buy. Uh, I don't remember if Amazon's doing it, but it's through three or four different retailers. Um, now, obviously, the problem is they sold out completely and they're unavailable, but um, they're doing it through multiple retailers. And from what I've heard from a couple of viewers who have done it, uh, credit checks are pretty liberal, so long as you know you're not a complete useless person. And it's just as a monthly payment where you get a new console. Um, if you can, there are tons of people who do not have $500 to go buy a new console, but they've got $35 for the first month's payment on Xbox Series X, Game Pass Ultimate, and Xbox Gold. And for 35 bucks a month, if they release a minor iterative X every two years, They've now got you on $35 a month for the rest of your life. Hmm. I mean, that's interesting. I, I kind of said three years because I, I, I was being, cons- I think I was being a bit uh, conservative with what they're going to do with their model. I don't know if they're just going to try to completely break the generation model, which is kind of what you think they saying are. they are. You know, two it, years or three years, though, I think we're kind of just guessing. I think yeah. it will be two or three. 
Well, and that might also depend upon development and what new chips are. Right. I mean, there may be external factors that affect their launch decisions. They they might be thinking about it now, but it's probably hard to firm up plans three years from now when they're trying to make Xbox Series Xs now. I guess my thought is you may be right that the PlayStation 5 may be static for five years. Or four. But Microsoft may want to say, why do you want your old PS5 when you can have a new Xbox every two years? And all your games move and all your Game Pass moves and you just give us 35 bucks. Well, and to bring it back to what you said about RAM problems, I don't think Microsoft cares. I think they plan on making you get a new one while the other one falls apart in two to three years, just like iPhones. I think that is Microsoft's. They don't care. They know it has enough RAM for well, kind of does. It seems it's already having some issues at launch. Um, it, it, or it has enough RAM for these games kind of right now. And they just think, yeah, in two years, if it runs out of RAM, we just, you know, run last gen textures. You know, we just tone down the graphics. It'll it'll run the games. It just won't look as good, but it's fine. We're going to be selling the 2022 model of the Series X anyways. So that's kind of going back what you said before. That is what I think they're planning to do. I mean, 10 gigabytes of RAM in the Series S, that's less than the One X. Like that's guys... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's going to be a 720p console. If it isn't already, Valhalla already runs in 720p. But, but they don't care. They want you to upgrade. Yes, but it's a next... It's a next... You got to remember, you enthusiasts, tech people, you, me, the audience that are listening or watching to this, they get all that. You've got to picture mom or aunt or 10-year-old 10-year-old or 12-year-old or 15-year-old, all they think is, my buddy has one of those old Xbox Ones. I have the new Xbox Series. It's an S, whatever. I have the new thing. And that's and it's $299. It's $100 cheaper than, than, the, than the digital PS5. It's $25 a month. I think a lot of people aren't going to care. And think about it this way. How many people are really honestly plugging those into anything other than a 1080p TV? I think more than you'd think, actually. I do. Um, The whole reason they said they launched the Pro as well is because more people were buying 4K TVs than they expected. So how many people are using 4K TVs? Mm, Not most people. How many people are using 4K TVs who have a next-gen console this fall? Most. You have to look at the people buying the next-gen consoles right now. I think a lot of them actually do use 4K TVs. But aren't the 4K TV buyers buying the X and the 1080p owners buying the S? We don't know. Right? See, that's the thing, though, is we don't have the sales data in. Um, and what we don't know the breakup of the two consoles yet. So I don't know how to, you know what I mean? I don't know. That would be a good straw poll to do. <laughs> well, and actually, um, Rogue, that brings up a good point that you brought up. Why don't you share why you don't like the previous, why you don't like the PS4 and the previous consoles, but you love like the Unreal Engine 5 demo? Uh, yeah, growing up on consoles, they never looked right to me. And I just, <laughs> it just, I couldn't play them. It just looked horrible. And then I watched the Unreal Engine 5 thing and I'm like, hello a minute. If the games look like that, I probably would play on consoles. Which brings me to why I'm not sure I would advise a PS5 Pro. Um, I have a PS5, and it runs every game at locked 60. It's actually weird, because it's it's funny how much I associated console gaming with 30 frames a second. Like, like 
Seriously. And I haven't played a game that isn't locked 60. And I want to be clear about this. Locked 60, not, you know, oh, it drops to 40. No, locked. Every game I play, you know, go to Digital Foundry. They're running all of these games at locked 60. And a lot of them are running at dynamic resolutions that most of the time stay above 1440p. And they do a TAA injection to kind of do some kind of upscaling checkerboarding to the full 4K. And it looks pretty damn sharp. And so when most people say they can't tell the difference between 1440p and 4K, I I find it hard to believe a lot of people are going to care if graphics get any better over this gen. And that's why I wonder if there's a point in the pro when you should just wait one more year and try to make it a bigger deal that you're launching a new console. I just can't see. It's not like last gen where... I mean, I guess the PS4 was cheap, but also it was running all games at 30... Well, not all, right? But half of the games at 30 frames per second, even at launch. Uh, Right at the beginning of last gen, I think everyone was like, I wish this was stronger. It's cheap enough, but I wish it was stronger. And when I look at this gen, everything's dead locked 60. Things load as fast as the PC, unless it's a last gen game. Um, You know, all of that. I can't see anyone complaining anymore. This is like, it feels like I'm gaming on a PC and it's hilarious. Like, it is funny how much I'm like, oh, wow, this is weird. This is a console. It's a lot of gaming performance for 400 bucks. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) But so I guess moving forward, I'm trying to think of where to go with, because we're, man, are we jumping around the conversation points here? I'm Um, sorry. It's it's all my fault. Blame me. Well, I think we cut. Well, so yeah. All right. So we covered the consoles. We, I think we covered Comet Lake, you know, it was like better, but correct me if I'm wrong. It it, it didn't really, well, you tell me, let's cover that one, like for just one minute, just to make sure I don't put words in your mouth. I mean, would you what I I'll speak first. I think Comet Lake was entirely uninteresting. Entirely. Like I I you might as well like it was like I heard a breeze go by and I was like, Dan did it. I think I just heard Comet Lake go by. Like I I I really wasn't that interesting to me. Um and, and it's because I knew Zen three was gonna crush it, you know. It's it, I mean, like, would you add anything else? To, and and then I also will admit, yeah, because no one wants it, you can get it for a reasonable price right now. <laughs> Uh, I will say that the big change to Comet Lake was the adding of hyper-threading to everything, except the Celerons, which I don't count. Yeah. The fact that the <laughs> i3-10-100 is now 4-core, 8-thread, the i5-10-400 is 6-core, 12-thread, and the i7 is finally back to freaking hyper-threading. The 9700K was stupid. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. I think it's interesting in the sense that an i3-10-100 for $115 is a 4.1 gigahertz, four-core, eight-thread chip that installs in a $70 motherboard. And for people who just want to play Overwatch at high frame rates, hmm. see, if, if, if Ryzen 3 3300X was actually available for 120 like it was supposed to be, it'd be a yeah, that one. That one just blew by like a breeze as well. But it isn't. And so for people on a budget who don't want to buy a used computer, who don't want a five-year-old i5, in previous generation with DDR3, who want to play games at 144 or 240, there's cheap 240 hertz monitors now. If you want to play those games, basically an i3-10-100 for $115 is, an, is a stock i7-7700K for a third of the price. 
that installs on a $70 motherboard. There is a market for that. It's interesting. It's it's a segment that Ryzen's actually not competing in at the moment because of a lack of availability. I think the i5, I think the next big change that Intel needs to make is they need to stop with the stupid K-chips versus non-K-chips. They need to allow RAM overclocking on all the boards. They need to allow all chips to be unlocked. And I think that would change the conversation a bit. Um, do you think they'll do that, Dan? Probably not. I, I No. I, honestly, you put a gun up to my head. I say, they're not going to do it. <laughs> uh, do you think the they would put hyper-threading on everything? Yes. I thought that they just, I thought it was obvious. I thought they had to. I mean, they're about to compete with 16 cores that have higher IPC and use less energy. They're going to have to put hyper-threading on everything. In fact, I thought they should have done it far sooner. I think Comet Lake should have came out a year sooner to compete with Zen 2, you know. Well, if the ninth gen had had hyper-threading on everything, then the 10th gen would have no reason to exist. Exactly. It's almost like Intel's been releasing the same products arbitrarily for five years straight. <laughs> uh, you know, I hear a rumor that might be true. The other <laughs> thing I will say is um, Intel did something. I said this when Zen 2 launched. I did a well, I did a review two years ago when the i9 9900K came out, and I did a video in October of 2018 comparing the 9900K to the then top of the line 2700X. And I said at the time, I said, you know, the 2700X is great, but honestly, if you want a longer term chip, I think the 9900K is a better option. And I got a lot of flack and feedback from people at the time saying, what are you talking about? It's $200 more. It's 520 versus 320 for the 2700X. Yeah, but it's a lot faster. And obviously, once the 2700X got cheap, that conversation changed. The, but I said at the time, I said, if AMD comes out with a better chip, Intel can fix this problem in two seconds flat because it takes a lot of work in engineering to make a better CPU, but it takes three seconds to change price. And all Intel has to do is change price and it ends the conversation. And what did we see this Black Friday? i9-9900Ks for 300 bucks. i9-10850Ks for 389. I mean, I don't think it really... 5.2 gigahertz Intel chip for under 400. Are you kidding? I don't think they are kidding because the 5600X is better in $300. <laughs> like, I think they this is the bare minimum they can do. But, you know... You would take a 5600X over a 10850K? 10850? I was talking 9900K, right? No, no. Would you take an i9 10850K over a 5600X, assuming they're within less than 100 bucks apart? Um, No. Zen 3 has more IPC. Zen 3 has Gen 4 support. Intel continues to have security problems that lower its performance over time. I think, honestly, it's like a leper. Like, you're touching something, you don't know what its performance is going to be next year. I mean, and the people I've talked to that work on these security patches say they don't expect these to stop happening. You know, it's going to keep happening. They're going to keep having security problems. Would you pay 450 for a 5800X over a <laughs> 10850K for 400? Um, absolutely. They, they, absolutely, I would, because it's a stronger CPU that uses less energy on a better platform. You know, it's, mm. I, I think, you know, like it, it, yes, because it beats it in benchmarks and it's the same and it's $50 more. It's like, what are you really saving? It's a better CPU. 
I'm going to be honest. I've been very outspoken. I think Intel's pricing makes sense if you put the 10 core at 350. Then I'll talk to you, Intel. Until you make your double the energy using PCIe 3.0, lower IPC, security laden, you know, Leper 350, I'm not buying this. This is, you're selling Skylake technology in 2020. I'm out. You know, I don't, I don't buy on these. And now Zen 3 is a dead platform too. So you can't argue Zen 4 is going to drop into it and stuff. But you can certainly upgrade to a 16 core eventually if that ever gets cheaper. Now, I'm done making predictions on what gets cheaper though over time. <laughs> but yeah, that is my opinion. I, I really don't, I think at less money per core than AMD, a lot less money Intel makes sense. But I don't know. Would you, would, do you disagree, Dan? No, I mean, I think the uh, big argument right now, which you made earlier, um, it, it's I, weird how fast that's flipped is I think the best place Intel has right now is the budget because you're right, they aren't competing at all right now in budget. AMD isn't competing in the budget space at all right now, except with like pretty, pretty old CPUs at this point. And even then, like what's the 2700X? At? That's like $200 now, isn't it? So that's not really competing there anymore. No. And again, it's hard to make these. I think for now, when we talk about what I would buy, what for, I'm just going to pretend they're at their sales price because otherwise we can't have the conversation. (laughs) And I think things might change for Rocket Lake. You know, Rocket Lake will have Cypress Cove. That should be about an 11% IPC increase over Comet Lake. So that should put it pretty much parity with Zen 3. And it will have PCIe 4.0 on the PCIe slot, I've actually heard Rocket Lake may not have Gen 4 SSD support. It may only support it on the PCIe slot, which is odd. I think it's actually more important for the SSDs than the graphics card. Um, uh, But, you know, maybe things will change. Um, I think they're going to have an 8-core possibly at 350 that has higher IPC. And if they do, then I could see myself actually recommending that, though. I mean, which kind of brings me to a conversation I'm clearly trying to steer it towards. Like, when do you think Intel, because again, I think it's worth pointing out that we can talk about budget chips, but like at the end of the day, the argument about Intel fixing things with prices, it doesn't cost AMD any more to make Zen 3 than it does Zen 2. If Intel ever got wily with pricing, they can certainly afford to make the 4800X350 just snapping their fingers. They just have to wait for them to actually stop selling out, you know? Well, it's the holiday season, and you know what that means. Lots of travel for this holiday season, and hopefully for a more open 2021. I bought a studio laptop for mobile editing. And of course, well, it didn't come with an open license of Microsoft Office. And those can be very expensive, especially for the professional version. But luckily, I was able to get Microsoft Office Professional for a reasonable price from cdkoffers.com. Go to cdkoffers.com and use the promotional code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off an already cheap list price of Windows 10 Professional. Then all you do is click on your email account, go to user center and then my purchase orders to get the code just use this code with a normal download of windows 10 professional from microsoft's website all right links in the description like so so when do you think intel may start turning things around 
to be completely blunt, um, and I know that the AMD fans in the audience are going to hate me for this, but I've seen this movie before. Well, they hate everyone. <laughs> yeah, I've I've seen this movie before. It's called Athlon 64 and Pentium 4. Um, Intel has had chips that were inferior, ran hot, used way too much power, and basically had no reason to buy unless they were providing market incentive dollars to Dell to force them to not buy AMD. <laughs> unless they were paying them to sell them. Yeah. yeah, they were paying them to sell them because Pentium 4 was garbage. And Athlon 64 3800 uh, 30, 3, plus kicked its butt for less power, higher performance, and a lower price. There was all throughout the 2000s, I was a complete AMD shop at the time. I had all from about 2000 yeah. to about 2006, I, I didn't want anything to do with Intel because they sucked. Um, and then Core 2 came out. And ended that conversation very, very quickly because Core 2 made Pentium 4 look like a joke, which ironically was just a reworked Pentium 3, whatever. But that's a separate conversation. And AMD almost was competitive. They came up with some high clock chips. They started to go up in power consumption. It was it was give and take there. And and Phenom was coming. But then I7 Nehalem came out and then, then the conversation was over and it's been over until Ryzen came. Uh, and then, of course, Bulldozer came and we all know what happened there. But the reason I say I've heard this story before is because Intel has made a lot of mistakes the past few years. They got lazy. They got complacent. They got sloppy. They got um, they released the same crap for year after year after year with 10 percent improvements. And they got complacent. They in the '90s, by the end of the '90s, they had crushed Cyrex and TI and yeah. the wind chips and the, all the others. They thought they had AMD beat. AMD bought next gen, created the K6, the K7, and did wonderful things. Alder Lake is going to be the beginning of the turn, but it's okay. really going to be Meteor Lake where Intel comes back and goes, AMD. It's been fun, bonk, and. I think it's going to be when Intel finally gets on seven nanometer. And yes, I know AMD will be on five by that point, but or three. Well, yeah, but I think they're ramping it, it right now. Three right now. <laughs> they will have three nanometer in 2022. They will. You know, so in, this is Intel, where maybe I jump in and say. Um, I agree. Alder Lake is their first chance to have something really cool. I've done a bunch of leaks on it. It actually looks really cool. Like I basically, I think 20% higher IPC, 30% higher than now, 24 cores. It sounds really cool. Um, but do I think that's going to be better than AMD's possibly 20 core five nanometer chip? I'm skeptical. <laughs> You know, I will come right out now and say it won't be. I, it, it's yeah, it's too okay. soon. They Intel needs several years to turn the. It takes years to develop these things. But I don't ever want to underestimate a company that has the money that Intel has to buy their way out of their current mess. Oh wait, let me also say I meant to say twenty four thread Alder Lake before the people spam comments saying it. <laughs> it's not sitting. I meant to say twenty four thread. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, okay, so but that's a long time though, isn't it? That's so is so that's what I keep telling people that well, that's what I did a ton of videos on last late last year was I know we're talking about Alder Lake already. 
I know we're talking about Rocket Lake, but these are 2021 products. It's going to be a pretty dark late 2020 and 2021. And even I don't think Alder Lake's going to eclipse them. So it's like you've heard the story before, but are you so sure Zen 4 isn't going to just be... Because everything I've heard is Zen 4 is as big a deal as Zen 2. And while Alder Lake is definitely finally a, we'll see, hopefully, a step in the right direction, I don't think it's going to be as big as Zen 2 was for AMD. Zen 4 will be a nice improvement. It'll be on a new platform. I don't think, if I had to make a prediction today, I don't think Alder Lake is going to beat Zen 4. But I think it'll be close enough that people who prefer to buy Intel will be able to have that option. Well, as long as Intel doesn't have too many bugs switching over to a new platform. Yeah, because that's the other thing I was going to say with Alder Lake is I think it's also a bit of a wild card because that big, big little. little that big little architecture or type yeah. architecture could um could not turn out well. We don't know. I mean, it looks like a lot of the bugs uh, have Lakefield. been worked out with Lakefield, but. I don't know. That's a pretty different approach to what they've been doing for a decade now. So we'll see. We'll see if there's a bunch of issues with the big little architecture that I could definitely see happening. And to be fair, I think a lot of people thought, well, I think I've, I think a lot of people thought all of Zen would be an, a disaster moving to this multi-chip design, but especially Zen too. They're like, how is this going to perform? But it actually beat Zen Plus in gaming. So it's like, oh, wow, they separated the chips and it works fine. So I think we should assume, you know, like Steve's saying here with the, uh, I mean, Jason, not Steve, they have so much money behind them that if anyone's going to make this new approach work, they should. <laughs> but I you just know, looked up Intel for, 20, didn't work, you know? for 2020 and everybody keeps calling Intel dead. Um, Intel generated $25.5 <laughs> billion of cash from operations year to date in the first three quarters of 2020. I don't know if they can hear all of the AMD fans over that money. So how much money did they make in revenue this year? $75 billion. Okay. I know money doesn't fix everything, but boy, it sure helps. Unless you spend $7 billion on buying McAfee instead of making 10 nanometer work. <laughs> well, you know what? Some companies are better at spending money. See, that's the problem. And so I'm looking at a roadmap for TSMC right now. Five nanometer, I believe we're, I actually do think we're going to have a Zen 3 Plus on five nanometer mid next year already, like mid next year. And do you then think I, we'll get AM5 next year? I, I'm not 100% sure, but my understanding is they may launch a Zen 3 Plus on AM5 next year. And then I believe Zen 4 will be the beginning of 2022. And if I look at this roadmap, then, um, right, yes, beginning of 2022. Uh, second half of 2022, three nanometers ready. So by the time Meteor Lakes out, it will be competing with three nanometer. They will be two nodes behind still. So even if they get to five nanometer in 2024, they will be competing with three nanometer and, and TSMC is will be ramping two. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying is that this mountain that they're behind it's a treadmill and they keep walking slower than the treadmills moving. And it's going to get to a point where I don't know how they could possibly catch up in under five years. Uh, I think, I think we'll have to see what meteor Lake is. Yeah. I'm just got all these names. I'm making sure I'm not messing it up, but 
it's going to be competing with Zen 5 on 3 nanometer, guys, or... You know. then, then here's a more interesting question, because they can't do anything about the current seven nanometer. And this no. is probably too far of a divergent topic, but I'll just throw it out there for fun. Maybe we can talk about it on the next one. Um, there's another possibility. Intel has enough money to simply say, TSMC, we'd like to book a crap ton of space in two or three years. I think they're considering doing that right now, too. The problem also, though, in my opinion, is that AMD's architectures are not bad, right? If you look at Renoir, this is a 150 millimeter squared chip that launched at the beginning of this year, competing with a 143 millimeter squared Tiger Lake. It has double the cores. You know, um, I think if you put Tiger Lake on TSMC, it wouldn't probably be better than Renoir. It'd be only a little better at most. So I think I think the node advantage is a huge one for AMD, more so against NVIDIA, though, actually. <laughs> I think when you look at like the fact that Zen Plus was able to almost match the 9900K, it, it did match it in efficiency, pretty much, on an inferior node to Intel's 14 nanometer, uh, or at the very best, the same performance level. I don't know. I, I, I think right now AMD's proved they can make an architecture as good as Intel as well. And so, again, I think it's all speculation. Do I think they could put some products on TSMC? Sure, but, well, then you're just leveling the playing field. And even on a level playing field, I think we saw the 2700X was pretty impressive against the 9900K. I think it's going to be an interesting three years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And, and it's to the point where it's like, well, I want to be clear. I'm not placing bets anymore. I'm just saying I have to keep throwing back at people. Yes, Intel will get better. But are you so sure AMD isn't going to double performance with Zen 4 again? Because they kind of sound like they might, <laughs> you know. And so basically Intel's got a quadruple performance at a certain point to catch up. Or they've got to double it every year for three years straight. And I put a bet, I put a, I, if you ask me, am I going to put a bet on Intel increasing performance by 50% every, by twice every year to catch up or AMD increasing it by 50% every year? I think it's a lot easier for AMD to stay ahead for a very long time. So I don't know. Um, just from a general consumer point of view, Rogue, what's your opinion on watching all this, trying to keep up <laughs> with what am I supposed to buy? Well, here's here's what my question is that Intel wants to come in with graphics cards. If they're already struggling with their CPUs, who's going to make these graphics cards? Are Intel going to make the graphics cards? Are they going to compete? Because it's almost like there's two separate businesses. And if this one over here, the CPUs aren't where they need to be, how are they ever going to get the graphics cards where they need to be? And if they're focusing on the graphics cards, then... I mean, I, I, would, I think the way I would put it is a really large corporation, one hand doesn't know what the other is doing a lot of the time. I would agree. Like, I don't think what is going on with the graphics division necessarily influences that much what's going on with the CPU. I mean, obviously, they have to talk because they're both being on the same product. But... Um, I think these bureaucracies get so massive at a certain point that you can't really, that it's hard to steer a ship. You know what well, I mean? And that's what I've heard internally from Intel as well, that, I mean, uh, I did a video showing quotes from people who work there, and it's like, it's not as dire as some tech channels make it out. Some tech channels would have you believe Intel's going to go out of business and light itself on fire next year, and I, that's just not true. There are plenty of people at Intel that say, 
There are great parts of the company that things are going well on certain products. But at the same time, though, yeah, it's like when I hear there are there are some parts of the company, though, where I hear some pretty insane things like they seriously didn't think Zen 2 would be that good. They seriously thought, you know, they released a six core with the first coffee lake instead of eight cores because they thought that's all they had to do. They actually didn't think AMD would keep making new stuff. So, yeah, I I don't know. I think we're just going to have to see if they can put their money where their mouth is. I hear Z is potentially very good, but I'll need to see it to believe it. And you're right. Like how I mean, I don't know. Just remember, they have 10 times the employees of AMD, too, when it comes to managing this. Yeah, yeah. It's going to take a lot of resources to get their GPUs where they need to be. I guess they've got the money. So I guess 10 times the. Yeah, I don't know. Intel does a lot of things besides make consumer CPUs. Uh, Intel has, what is it, uh, a 15-year long-term support plan on certain Atom chips for industrial customers, for example? Yeah, they've got all types of contracts. I mean, they're supplying a lot of older chips to, I mean, I would just argue kind of outdated mom-and-pop server shops. They're, They're supplying the same stuff that's like 10 years old. And yeah, they have all different types of products and supply chains that they continue to support for decades. Well, and not to mention they're also a, a fab, so you have to add in that extra wrinkle. Where I'm, a, I'm assuming I don't know what they're fabricating right now. Are they mostly fabricating Intel stuff? Or are they still fabricating? Uh, are it's they like still all Intel right now? Okay, so that's I'm sure someone's going to say no. They make this as well, but I'm sure and they, they have in the something. past. They made iPhones once and they underperformed, I believe. It's a big business that has is focusing on more things than what AMD is focusing on. I would just say broadly. And, and as far as I'm aware, they're going to make Intel Z discrete graphics cards next year on TSMC 6 nanometer. So that's what I've heard. And I've actually heard consistently, although some people say there's no way, I heard it again recently, they really are targeting a 256-bit, 16-gigabyte card in between the 3070 and the 3080 in performance for around 400 bucks. That's what they want to launch next year. I would argue they're kind of just launching a 6800 one year late. But <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, do you, what do you guys expect out of Intel graphics next year? This is a big thing to look forward to next year that isn't here now. I remember Intel promising graphics for years. I remember they had. What was it? The i nine sixty twenty years ago, and then the Larabee project twelve years ago. This is obviously much more real than those were. I think so. I'm sorry. I said I think so. Oh yeah, yes, I agree. yes. Um, a lot of people say that though and go, "Well, it's going to be the same." It's like I think they're more. I think this is a bigger deal now. They're much more serious. They they clearly have have committed major resources and made and they and and real silicon and real uh uh chips exist. They've started to put XE into some laptops. I mean, the prototypes exist. It's not just it, it, it's not just like a one-off prototype at this point. But and they've got contracts with TSMC, as you said, to make some. Mm-hmm. Um, my on one hand, Intel can afford to not make money on their first release of the cards to sort of buy their way into the market. They can price it low mm-hmm. to get attention. Because of their other revenue sources, so they could, for example, I think they have for to. three. I'm sorry, and I think they have to. Yeah, they could come in for three ninety nine with a sixteen gig card, and it it could be such a compelling value, and that's interesting. 
But drivers, it's all about drivers. Look at the problems with drivers. And, and of course, I rag a bit on Navi, uh, our DNA one drivers for the first six months. But, you know, there have been times in the past when NVIDIA drivers have sucked. I mean, you go back oh, yeah. seven or eight years. Huge problems. I switched from NVIDIA because of their Fermi drivers. Yeah, I was going to say the, the uh, was that 400 series? 400 and 500, yeah. 400 and 500, they were so bad that, so I don't want to rag just on AMD, but if Intel can't get the drivers right, it doesn't matter how good the hardware is. Yeah. What I, and again, it's like, I'm just taking this on. What I've heard is that they're going to try to make sure their first launch has super stable drivers that they know they're probably not, but it's like, you know, just prove it, Intel. What I will say is they're integrated Drivers have worked fine for me for the past few years. So, and that that wasn't always the case five years ago. Let, let's say a couple of things then. Number one, let's just assume Intel does launch a discrete graphics card that's at least in the mid range next year. How do you think it will perform? Well, I guess let's just say relative to the competition, and we're not putting money down. This doesn't mean you put in a reputation on the line. We're just saying. Gut reaction, do you think Intel will be competitive in the mid-range next year? I think it's supposed to launch summer, too. I don't think it's even late next year. I hope. You're very nervous to say anything good, huh? <laughs> uh, let me put it this way. I would love to be pleasantly surprised. Mm -hmm. I look forward to the competition. I would love to have three companies selling graphics cards. I would love to have three companies selling CPUs. Where the heck is Cyrex? Where the heck is NVIDIA? I, I, I want a third competitor because two is just a duopoly. Well, Apple's solving that. So before we, we get to that. Oh, please I, don't start with the M1 with me, please. I mean, it's good, but it's not, you know, you know, I'm not that's one of the people. That's, that's the next podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I, what I'll say is. About Intel, my prediction would be, and again, my God, this is not me doubling down or put, like, I'm just, my gut is the plurality of the, uh, not even most likely, plurality out of three outcomes. I think Intel launches something that's basically a 6800 or a 3070, 16 gigabyte. It uses less than 200 watts and it's good. And that's about it. And they price it competitively and it does okay in the $400 space. But then I think there's two other outcomes with them being split between eh, they launched a no, they launched like a 16 gigabyte 3060 that for 350 and it's not that interesting. And then the other option being it's terrible, it doesn't even come out. <laughs> or it yeah, or it just remains an OEM. I think plurality like is it's above average expectations, but it doesn't kill everything. Well, if you look back to the to the first Ryzen launch in March of 2017, yeah, uh, I remember very clearly when Dr. Lisa Sue gave her keynote in January and made the announcement. And they talked about it. I remember, or was it February, whatever? I remember when she talked about the fact that even some people with an AMD said, "You can launch this for more. You can launch this for 500, for 700. You've got an eight core chip." Intel's got a four core chip. You can launch it for more. And she said, "No, we're going to make this well priced. We're going to." Some of that's a story. Some of that's probably true. But Ryzen 7 1700 launched for 329 with a cooler in the box as compared to the i7 7700K yeah. for 350 with no cooler with four cores 
And the reason I bring this up is because from a gaming point of view, from a frame rate point of view, from a what existed at the time point of view, the 7700K by and large was still a better gaming CPU at that point. Most of the time when it wasn't stuttering in some of the newer games. Well, it depends on what you were doing. But the point is a, a, a Ryzen 7 1700 is a good chip for 329. But in terms of IPC, in terms of latency, in terms of multitasking of switching, not just multi-threaded performance, but like if you're running two different programs at once and you're task switching, there's there's more latency inherent. RAM support was terrible at launch. RAM was a disaster. The BIOS has took six months to get not garbage. Um, I gave it a lot of slack because we desperately needed it to work. But <laughs> when I've gone back, I think a lot of people, them, did, yeah. I, I still have those. I'm struck by they were impressive because it was an eight core chip for 300 bucks, but that's why it was impressive. It, it was it, efficient too, like even in gaming, like you, sure, you, you know, absolutely. it was actually more. Efficient but AMD too. had because Bulldozer was such bad juju. Oh my, yeah. AMD had to come in with an offer so compelling that yeah. it got all the reviewers and all the tech press and everybody to go, what? Oh, well, eight cores for 300 bucks with a what? What are you doing? Intel selling us four cores for the it, it had to be so good that it got everybody's attention. Mm-hmm. I would argue that Intel might want to consider. Doing the same, yeah. so competitive that they make the whole tech industry stop in their tracks and go, why is NVIDIA and AMD charging us so much for cards if if Intel is going to sell us a $249 16 gig card? Well, well, well and they kind of need to because they need to, people to be talking about something Intel that isn't their CPUs next year. So like all, if they can do it, all motivations are that they need to go hard with their graphics card launch and they cannot fail. Cause I mean, honestly for their stock price too, that would just look disastrous if they canceled this graphics card lineup. And then it was Alder Lake loses to Zen four or something. If those two things happen within six months of each other, my God. Well, if XE launches, it needs to, they, I mean, they need to buy their way into the market basically by selling it at or below cost to just, to just to make a name for themselves and to get people to go, okay, I'll try that. Yeah. Why why leave your current brand? Oh, here's another question for you. I have not heard anything about whether or not Intel is going to sell every card themselves or are they going to let. I've seen some people mention that. I have no clue. I really don't know. I would be surprised if they did it themselves. If they don't let the third MSI, Gigabyte, Asus, EVGA, et cetera, if they don't let them sell cards, they won't reach the market if they don't let the add-in boards do it. Think of the competitive marketing from all the different cards to buy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I can't comment on that. I mean, I, I guess the one thing I would say about competitive price, though, is when I look at my my GPU cost calculator here, and I, if I were to like assume it's Intel on TSMC six nanometer, I mean, let me see here. Let me add. Let me just adjust like one thing here. You know, let me uh, let me just assume it's even. If I put in just a different cost here, if I put in 16 gigabytes of GDR6, 
Look, there is no reason they can't make decent margins and sell something that I've described for three fifty. That like I I think a lot of people are missing that at this point. This uh, Navi twenty one is making crazy buku bucks at the price it's selling at. Like they're making like they could be making sixty to one hundred percent margins on some of those AIB cards, which AMD has never really been able to do ever. I don't think. And so I guess the one thing I would say is I I really think Intel will come in at a competitive price point because they can. I mean, like they could sell this, assuming it's a die that's around three fifty millimeters squared. I think there's no reason they can't sell this for like three fifty. It you is don't just think, you don't think they should come in lower to buy their way into the market. Depends if it if it's as strong as a thirty eighty, I think three fifty is fine. <laughs> <laughs> if it's weaker than a thirty seventy, I don't know. Maybe they just go super aggressive. It would it would certainly be funny to see this launch next to the sixty seven hundred XT and the thirty sixty and just make a complete mockery of their price performance. Like that's what I want to happen. That's well, what I it, always want to happen. <laughs> well, yeah, and like we spent Tom and I spent a lot of the last podcast talking about like lamenting about how ridiculous like the pricing has gotten how now we're talking about the mid-range starts at like five hundred dollars now basically it's getting ridiculous uh so that's kind of where i'm at is i would love intel to just shake up is to shake up the market in a drastic way like that that would be amazing to actually bring prices down to these not astronomical levels they're at at this point which is my next agree. conversation, by the way, is let's talk about a little bit what we expect out of the 6700 XT, you know, Navi 22 from AMD, and then the 3060 from NVIDIA. Like, I, I think, based on what I've heard, the, like I did a leak video on it, the 6700 XT actually sounds like they may bring a 12 gigabyte card that's about the performance of a 2080 down to like 350, 380, or even lower. So... I don't know. And I actually think that's more interesting than bringing 2080 Ti performance to 500. I think it's more interesting to bring, you know, 2080 Radeon 7 performance down to like 300. I mean, that's what I mean. And and, and again, like we discussed earlier, because there's been no good $300 cards for years, like relatively to previous gens. I want the $200 price point and below to see some interest. It was not that long ago that there were 100, 150, and $200 cards worth buying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's, got, that's pretty much completely gone at this point. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's been within the past five, six years that you could go out and spend $150 and get a card that wasn't crap. Well, you know, Gamers Nexus did a leak recently about the 3060, and he said AIBs are getting into a kind of a kerfuffle with NVIDIA because NVIDIA is pushing them to sell it for less than 300, which it's just a six gigabyte card. I mean, I would point out the RX 480 was eight gigabytes. It annoys the crap out of me. But it sounds like they're going to target $300 with the 3060. And What's the, why we, we had the we had the six gig twenty sixty for well more than three hundred and then four hundred on eBay right now. That's so <laughs> yeah I know I know yesterday. Okay, 
In 2017, when the 580 launched, the retail launch price of the RX 580 8-gigabyte card was $229. I bought one on launch day off of Newegg. And they want to sell a $300 6-gig card in 2020? 2021? That doesn't make sense. I'm not NVIDIA. Don't kill me. But the answer is yes. (laughs) They might give it 12... They might give it 12 gigabytes, though. I will say it sounds like there's going to be a 6 and a 12 gigabyte offering, which is weird under the 8 gigabyte 3060 Ti, but um, it is what it is. Would you say it's true that the that the 3050 will have 4 gigs? I think actually what they're... I think it depends on how competitive they know Navi 22 is. If the 6700 XT, if AMD actually goes for it, and I think they can, if it's 350 or even 329 for like a 12 gigabyte 2080 super that uses 200 watts. I think Nvidia has to release a 12 gigabyte 3060 for 300 because it's, you know, it's probably going to be weaker than the 6700 XT. So I think that's what I'm hoping for. And then I think there's going to be six gigabytes, 6700 non XTs and 3060s for like 250. So Pick your poison. They're actually increasing performance in this range. And I think for 300 for 12 gigabytes is good. But I do agree that at the $200 point, it's probably going to be six six gigabytes. And and yeah, I think they might call it the 3050 six gigabyte for 200 or something. That's what I think is going to happen. Probably call it 3050 Ti. I'm shaking my head because I don't want any more video cards under eight gigabytes. You know, it's... Yep. <laughs> I agree. Everything's growing. Eight gigabytes should be it should be a 3050 199 eight gigs. I mean, if I was dreaming, it'd be 149, but you know, <laughs> I just I, I want there's a lot of people out there who don't buy over two hundred dollar video cards. That is a huge, huge market. We covered a ton be. of it. Yeah. yeah I, I just, just feel like that market segment's dying. I don't like and I just have to, I don't want to use the word accept, but acknowledge it's happening. And, and, and I hope it changes next year. But I don't really see it changing next year unless AMD gets super aggressive with the 6700 XT and Intel also is aggressive. Because if that doesn't happen, it's clear they're all too happy to raise prices and gamers are all too happy to pay more. And you I think they, I don't know what else there is to it. It is what it is. I, I, I think the sub $200 market might just I think personally, it might just be dead. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, I ho- hopefully that's just because eventually becomes just due to inflation, and the sub 200 becomes the sub 300 dollar price uh, market. But I don't think we're ever seeing a 150 dollar mid range card again or high entry level card again. Well, and one thing I would bring up, and I said this to David, does tech stuff on the previous part of this series, is that. With rising wafer costs, it doesn't actually increase the cost to make high-end cards that much. Like, honestly, the cost of the actual silicon portion of the card, what? So now it's 100 bucks instead of 60 Okay, so now it's a $750 card instead of a 700 or something. Like, that's not a big deal. But when you get below $200, you know, 16 nanometer wafers are about five grand. Uh, seven nanometer wafers are about 10 grand, now almost nine grand. They went down in price a little bit. And it sounds like five nanometer wafers are going to be 14, 15, 16 grand. So triple the price of a 16 nanometer wafer. 
Well, that does become a problem because now it's like $100 even for the smaller dies. And then you add eight gigabytes of GDR6. So that's like $6 a gigabyte, 8, 16, 24. I mean, yeah. So like you're kind of getting to a point where you add then the cooler, the PCB, you know, it's kind of hard to make any low end card below $200 anymore unless you skimp on RAM or it's a micro die or uses almost no energy. And I think we might, and I, I would just say play devil's advocate. I think we might be in an awkward situation where AMD hasn't launched their mega APUs yet to fill this part of the market. And so we're just kind of left in a no man's land of overpriced eBay cards or having to spend 400. I don't know. I, I think that eventually APUs will take up the sub $200 segment, though. I will say that. I am disappointed that the Ryzen 4000 G series of APUs was not launched to retail at the same time it was launched to OEM because it looked like a really good product. Yeah. <laughs> well, they can't make enough of them based on what I've heard. And so I think that's why, too. They just don't see a point. They can't even supply enough laptops with them, or let alone OEM desktops. Why? See, that's, see, that's the thing that I think is Intel's competitive advantage because they control manufacturing. I, asked, I said earlier, I asked you, I said, do you think that AMD could run into a capacity constraint where they can physically not order enough wafers from TSMC? Well, that's happening it, right now, yeah. <laughs> and they, we did a lot of videos on our channel on the Ryzen APUs. I covered the, the, the 2200G and the 2400G. We covered the, uh, the Athlon 3000G. We covered the Athlon 200GE. And then we covered the 3200 and 3400. In fact, one of our highest viewed videos is I did 20 games at various detail settings, basically showing here's what's playable on a 3400G. And there are, if you, well, you don't know, I mean, but there are a lot of yeah, comments I've on that them. video from people saying, what's next? What do I upgrade? Where's the next APU for me to upgrade to so I can get better performance? And I'm like, doesn't exist. And they're like, what am I supposed to do? I, I don't know. Well, there's there's Saison, Van Gogh. I've even heard of something called Big Renoir coming out. And I think there's just another reality when it comes to segmenting their market where you look at, they already had the 3400, so 3000 series APUs on 12 nanometer in the Zen 2 lineup. They already did in the 3000 series have an APU. And so I think they just, and then Renoir only has eight PCIe lanes. So if you put that in the do-it-yourself market, it really can't even use X570 or any of the newer motherboards effectively. So I think AMD just kind of skipped it on do-it-yourself, and they plan to do something with another APU early next year that will be part of the 5000 series. I think that's why they skipped it on do-it-yourself. So I guess to that person, I would say, I think they have something coming. I do. I just think they didn't know what to do when they already had something in the 3000 series and the 4000 series couldn't meet demand and couldn't really use X570 well. That just pinged a thought in my head that I had been running. I, I couldn't articulate it when we were talking about uh, Intel's dedicated graphics chip. With the upcoming shrink to 10 and 7 nanometer and the fact that chiplets are now an accepted technology, what are the odds that Intel figures out how to do an eight-core desktop CPU with superior integrated graphics to AMD on a single chip. I mean, they can do it whenever they want, but what's to stop AMD from putting integrated graphics on Zen 4? Because it kind of sounds like they might. You know, nothing's you, stopping them. You know, they just needed Alder Lake will, by the way, <laughs> have better graphics. You know, 
Well, the integrated graphics so far on the APUs, I mean, the 3400G is nice, but the Vega 11 on it is really nothing that special. Well, Tiger Lake is as good as Renoir, not a little better right now. So, I mean, yeah, nothing's stopping Intel. It's just nothing's stopping AMD from, from the sounds of it. Van Gogh is going to have, uh, I don't know, 12 RDNA 2 compute units instead of 8 Vega. So that's what a- in- Intel will be competing with. It might even be RDNA 3 from what I've heard on some of these. I guess I'm thinking about along the lines of, I mean, t- take our situation. We have three kids. Mm-hmm. They, uh, Rogue, what, do our, what games do our kids play? Uh, Fortnite, Rocket League, <laughs> Minecraft. Do any of those things need an RTX 3080? No. Do any of those things need an RTX 2080? You're doing ray tracing, they do. Yeah. Um, well, they'll, in they'll, Rocket League. They'll need <laughs> RTX, but yeah, they don't need like a 2080. But they don't need RTX. No. They don't. No. I mean, our daughter has an RX 580 in her computer, and our son has an RTX 2060 Super. Do you think they notice the difference between those two cards? No, uh, I don't know. I don't know they if don't. I'm into gaming there. Oh. <laughs> but they play, they play Fortnite. They play Minecraft. They play Roblox. They play Rocket League. They play... They play everything where a 20... Now, objectively, a 2060 Super is a substantially better card than an RX 580, correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I have a 2060 non-Super, which is a different card, but yeah. Yeah. So my daughter has not remotely complained that she has an inferior card because they play on 60 hertz monitors and it looks the same to them. And mm-hmm. so what we need is we need a new APU with graphics at that level, because I think you would sell oh, a metric ton of them. Yeah, I think to play Minecraft, it needs to play Fortnite, it needs to play Rocket League, it needs to play CSGO. You couldn't make enough of them. Well, AMD can't right now. <laughs> well, right. But if Intel did it, Intel has the fabs. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. If Intel could make that, they could, they, it, you could say that Zen 4 and Zen 5 on 5 and 3 nanometer are superior to Intel. But if Intel came out with a CPU, you know, you've talked about the fact that you don't think that the i9-10850K for 400 is very exciting. It uses too much power. It's not as fast IPC. I would pay 50 more dollars. If I'm already spending that much on an overall system for the superior eight core, I would. Right. But what if Intel's chip came with a decent video card that you meant you didn't have to buy a video card? Um, I would use my Radeon 7. Well, <laughs> yeah, but you don't have a Radeon 7 because you're buying in the current market. Yeah. You don't have a video card. I mean, I, I think. Um, uh, Intel is selling Tiger-like NUCs that are this. They just don't really sell them for a good price, right? They are that product exists. It's just too much. It's like a thousand dollars for some reason. So I guess they need to that's make it a answer. desktop retail chip to put into yeah. B460 yeah. boards. Uh, uh, yeah, and, and I think I they, they will do. with Alder Lake. You know, I just don't think they are right now for some reason. I just want competitive products at competitive prices, and I don't care who makes them. Well, you know, it, going to what you said, I, I did have one question here to bring up. Do you, how important do you actually think ray tracing is right now, late this year and going into next year? And the example I like to bring up is Fortnite 
because, uh, and I pointed this out in my 6900 XT analysis, I'm like, yeah, it's a lot worse than ray tracing than the 3090. Having said that, if you want to play with ray tracing in Fortnite, an esports game with the 3090, you have to run it at low settings with DLSS on in 1440p, and the minimum still drop below 60. So is ray tracing really relevant even for Ampere when you can't play esports titles above 60 hertz on low ray tracing in Fortnite? I would argue it's kind of a useless feature even for the 3090 outside of a handful of games. And it's probably half a handful of games. I have two very simple answers for you. When, when ray tracing came out two years ago, I was the contrarian at the time. Because everybody was like, this is dumb, this is stupid, nobody needs it, it, yeah. it kills performance, no games support it, nobody cares about this, it's PhysX all over again, it's <laughs> junk, blah, blah, blah. Hey, Dan I, had a PhysX card. You know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> he knows I said <laughs> in, my, in my 20 series launch video, ray tracing is the most important thing that has come to graphics cards in over 10 years. Because it was 2006 when we went to the unified shader model with Tesla and Terascale with the 8000 series and 2000 series from ATI and NVIDIA. And that was the last big change from fixed function hardware to the unified shader to CUDA cores. Ray tracing is the next. You can't keep adding rasterization. Adding another 2000 CUDA cores is not going to magically make your graphics double the nicer. You can optimize it with Ampere. I've been doing that for a long time. Ray tracing is a new path that lets them go somewhere different than they've gone before. Mm -hmm. And it's on one hand, my first answer is it is the most important graphics card technology in more than a decade. On the other hand, it won't mean anything to the average person for five years Mm -hmm. because the launch performance in the 20 series is a joke. I think the they literally didn't have better, ray tracing but, cards at launch. I mean, ray tracing games. Like, they literally didn't even have them. No, and the 30 series is better, but mm. it's only with the event, with the advent of DLSS 2.0 being good that it's even... I mean, look at, look at Cyberpunk. Without DLSS in performance mode, ray tracing's a joke. But in fairness, if DLSS is set up right, it's not bad. You can get console frame rates. I'm sorry, last-gen console frame rates. (laughs) Well, an RTX 3090 will do 4K 60 frames per second with ray tracing on with DLSS in performance mode. RTX 3090, 4K ray tracing ultra with DLSS in performance, 48.5, 1% low, 54.8 average. I would not be playing below 60. I'd like to at least game as well as a console with my $2,000 like graphics card. Video yeah. card. So case in point, I argue it's almost entirely irrelevant. Like no one, and that's why I want to next year, but I've decided I'm not going to do it. This, I'm not paying $800 for a 3080 and a 6800 XT. I'm just not doing it. Like I don't, I, I can't bring myself to spend that money. I don't even, I don't, I know for sure. I won't make enough content with it to be worth that much, at least not at the current subscriber level. And But next year, prices come down. I do want to compare them. And what I want to do is I actually take one month, put the 3080 in for a couple of weeks, play games. Like, what settings do I actually turn on and then report back versus the 6800 XT? Because 
I, I did that with the 2060 and like a 5700. And I'm, there was no situation where I was actually using any of NVIDIA's extra features because they either added artifacts or the ray tracing killed to performance too much. And that's when I go, well, is this actually worth talking about though? Like even now, even with Ampere being stronger than Turing, I mean, I'd rather play in 4K 120 than 4K 50 with ray tracing on. Ray tracing will matter three years from now. It takes time. In the long run, we'll look back at this and say, why haven't we always had it? But well, we always did. We just didn't use it. Like they had some, you know, there were tech demos of ray tracing on consoles decades ago. They just never used it in final games because it hurts performance so much. Well, sure. Um, there's a reason why they use ray tracing in 3D animation in movies. It just takes a long time to render, mm-hmm. but it looks better than rasterization. Look at the, the bright side. It's improved. Are 24 frames a second, though. <laughs> well, it, yeah, and they rendered on by render farms. But yeah, you, that, that's what you're saying. It's viable to use ray tracing in movies because you're not constrained by having to render the frame in real time. Which you is can really take hard four to hours to render one frame. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now two hours with Threadripper. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big deal, though. I mean, um, but yeah, uh, I mean, I guess so. I guess, though, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I would say that I still I, I, I would like to get a hold of these cards and test it myself. And I just, again, literally go, is there a game I'm playing where I actually turn this on like and report back? Um, but right now I just, I just can't say there is for most people. I, I just, I don't, I don't know. And maybe you put it in 1080p and turn ray tracing on, I guess I'd rather it look sharper at that point. You know, I don't know. I don't, if a game is fun, then it's fun. I it's, love yeah. pretty visuals, but pretty visuals don't make a fun game. Mm-hmm. I made a video uh, a couple months ago titled, You Don't Need an RTX 3080 to Play at 1440p, 144 hertz. And some people got it, and some people got really upset with me for that video because I showed 17 games, including AAA games, Mm -hmm. on a GTX 1660 Ti? I think it was a Ti. It was Ti. A 1660 Ti, and at the time, they were selling for like 239. Don't we wish those still existed? And it was 239 for a 1660 Ti through New Egg. And I said, $800 cards are nice. But I did some games at low, some games at medium, and some games at high at 1440p. Every single game was 60 frames per second or higher. Mm-hmm. They were all completely 100% playable. And my point was, if you're flexible with detail settings, if you're flexible with resolution or render resolution, a lot of them that are really close to 60 or had 1% that like... Yeah, just move resolution scale down 10%. You won't notice the difference. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. 80 or 90% render resolution fixes that instantly. And I would argue that $250 for a video card today and then another $250 in two years is cheaper and gets you better four-year performance than a 3080 for $800 does today. And of course... But it's kind of extreme situations now, too. It wasn't always like this. You know, I agree, though. I mean, and I'm the one who keeps telling people, they're like, oh, 4K is a novelty. It's so hard to run. And I'm like, eh. With my Radeon 7, I just put it to 1800p instead of 4K or move resolution resolution scale down 80%, turn a couple settings to high instead of ultra. And 
I can actually run most games close to 4K 120, you guys. Like, I don't know what to tell you. I love to point people to a video I made two years ago titled 4K Gaming on a GTX 1050 Ti. <laughs> now, that might be hard, actually. Right, how about GTA 5 at over 60 frames per second in real gameplay? I mean, I bet you could do it with the right settings. It was a PS3 game. Well, sure. And and that's a now a, what a six year old game. It but a lot of people play it. You know? It's very popular. And my entire point with that video was if you don't have to play the latest Assassin's Creed game, if you don't have to play the latest unoptimized pile of junk, if you're willing to play two year old, three year old games, you can game on relatively modest hardware, even at higher resolutions. Oh Unless, yeah, for sure. Or let's be honest, with a lot of people, it's um, you're playing 3D Mark, and that's why you bought this new card. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've actually stopped testing 3D Mark. I, uh, oh, yeah. Two years ago yeah, in my benchmarks, use I used it, to use it. Game. I stopped because my argument is you're not buying an $800 video card to run benchmark, although you're right. Some people are. I mean, they write into me. Which, speaking of people writing in, let me actually try to work through... Some of these reader mails we haven't touched for a couple hours. Uh, Stefan Hart writes in and says, Hello, Tom, Dan, Tech, and Rogue. Tech deals, though I disagree with some of Tech's takes, I respect your experience and knowledge, and I really appreciated the cheap Gen 4 SSD finds you did. With the current NVIDIA and hardware unbox situation, do you, as reviewers, feel obliged pressure to follow the NVIDIA narratives they sometimes tell you to follow? Do you believe it's a shot across the bow to the entire community? that they stop sending hardware unboxed cards. This is a new one I added, I think, before I sent you the notes, by the way. Um, you know, like, I, I think, and I haven't looked into this completely, but just, like, what I saw is that they, and I, they've done this before to hardware unboxed, but I think they're not sending them cards or they're, like, putting pressure on them because they're not talking about ray tracing enough. And uh, But Stefan Hart goes on, in the recent Linus Tech Wand show, Linus made a real statement that really surprised and impressed me when he, anal when he said that NVIDIA was acting like a mafioso, I would love to hear your opinions on the situation. Do Have you been pressured by any of these companies before? And what would you say to NVIDIA potentially pressuring hardware on box, which I think he actually publicly admitted they are now, that they're getting a lot of flack from NVIDIA for not talking about ray tracing in every video? I tweeted my support of Steve over at Hardware Unboxed okay. as soon as that happened and said... Uh, on Twitter, and I, I retweeted his tweet and said, I, I stand with, with Hardware Unboxed here. I think this is a very shady practice. Shame on you, NVIDIA. You should be better than this. Your products are are good enough. You They can stand on their own. If you want specific content, pay for it in a labeled sponsored review. Otherwise, let reviewers review products as they see fit. Hardware mm -hmm. Unboxed does legitimate reviews. They're not... They're not Shady fly-by-night people. Steve knows what he's doing. Um, I have now Nvidia directly has never sent me a review card. Mm -hmm. All my Nvidia cards yeah. have come from MSI, Gigabyte, etc. MSI and Gigabyte have never told me anything. In fact, I get almost no feedback from them on reviews at all. They don't even say we like this or we didn't like that. They just go, "You covered it, great," and that's the end of it. Now AMD used to send me a lot of stuff. But I never got feedback one way or another. They're just like, hmm. do you have a link to the video? Yep, here's what we did. Great. Thanks. Um, I, 
I wish I could say that that's relevant, but let me counter with this point. I have not had consistent enough communication and a relationship Mm -hmm. to, I don't think they've ever been in a position where they give me that kind of feedback because it's never been, I can count on every single card being sent. It's not like I'm Linus who gets everything that ever releases from every company. Um, So I'm not in a position where they'd send me that email. They just wouldn't talk to me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Let me put it this way. If I ever was pressured to review a certain thing a certain way, um, I would certainly say so like, like Steve did. I would certainly push back on that. And I've actually, here's what's interesting. Um, Intel's the only company that I think I have a good relationship with in terms of the fact that I have a specific named person with a phone number that I can pick up the yeah. telephone and actually get him on the phone. I don't have anybody at AMD I can actually get on the phone. And when we did our i9, excuse me, our i7-9700K video, I specifically said in that video, don't buy this CPU. Mm-hmm. This is dumb and terrible, and it shouldn't exist. 400 bucks for an eight-thread CPU is stupid. Yeah. What should you do? You should buy an i9-9900K instead for 100 bucks more. They and I like sent that, that <laughs> to my Intel rep, and I said, I just want to give you a heads up that I ragged pretty hard on your i7, because frankly, mm-hmm. this is dumb and stupid. And he goes, so long as you are giving a reason for your opinion, so long as you are giving an objective about, you're not just saying, oh, Intel sucks, they're stupid. So long as you're saying, mm-hmm. I don't like it because it, here's the reasons why, if you're being an objective reviewer, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I just don't want people to, to hate just to hate. And I said, no, I don't like the fact that it doesn't have hyper-threading. I like the i9 because of this hyper-threading. And I think for a hundred bucks more, it's, it's worth it. He goes, we don't have a problem. So it, that's the only feedback I can give you because AMD has never been in close enough communication with me. And NVIDIA certainly hasn't to give me yeah. that feedback. But if they did, I would tell them to go pound sand. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that a lot of the most popular channels now have their own ways of handling this and that most of them aren't getting paid. I do know of a couple that I know are, by the way, <laughs> but I'm not going to say who just because it's like, why, why even, you know, but, it, you know, yeah. it, it, I would say most, not all, some of them I think are getting away with it, but most don't even get away with it, not even close to. And it's very easy to turn down that type of thing when you have a fan base that supports you. You don't need, you don't need to take the money then, right? Well, we have sponsors on our live streams and we, we have ongoing sponsors that we do some, some, some pre-rolls for, but I try very hard to find sponsors that I would recommend anyway. Oh, we find yeah, that's product. what I do too, right? Like it's I like, I would use to, your yeah. product anyway. Thanks for paying for me. Thanks for paying me for <laughs> recommending something I'd recommend for free. Don't tell them I said that. <laughs> like I reached out to Arctic and I said, and I'll just admit, you know, I said, I heard you're looking for sponsors. I recommend your products anyway. So now look, if you send me something to look at, if it's bad, I'm going to tell people, but I'm just letting, you know, and then like, like I said, then if I was talking to Ben Q, I'm like, don't send me that monitor. <laughs> it's in your best interest. Send me that one is that's the one that I actually think is interesting. Well, let me move on here. I think we're running a bit out of time. So I'm going to try to just do 
some rapid fire reader mails. We've only, I think, gotten to one. So let's just yeah, see what we can do you're here. Getting, you're getting what I consider to be the detailed answer. I will try and give you the short answer now. <laughs> yeah. John O'Shea writes in and says, which would have better performance at 200 watts, the 6800 XT or the 3080? I can't find any benchmarks that test this kind of thing. And from what I've seen, it would be the 6800 XT. I don't know if you guys have tested this, but the 3080 seems to get more efficient if you undervolt and underclock it, but it gets less performance. Whereas when I watch the Gamers Nexus review of the 6800 XT, and there will be a link in the description for this, what I saw was they just gained performance by undervolting it like most AMD cards that are overvolted right now. So I think it's pretty clear that if you undervolt, there's more to be gained with RDNA 2. I don't know if you guys have seen anything different. I am actually a very firm believer in not touching voltage on video cards, and I'm very aware of the undervolting on AMD issue. I am extremely reluctant to tell the average person who doesn't mess with this stuff regularly to touch voltage, be it on CPUs or GPUs, because it's a very quick way to fry something by typing in a wrong number by mistake. Um, but yeah, I am aware of, of the, the improvements there on AMD and I don't know why they feed so much voltage into their cards. Maybe it's, <laughs> maybe it's for yield. Maybe they have a standard setting. It's because it gets the more yield because it's not going to work on. So know. Adore TV did a video on it and, it and he says, and I believe it was based on talking to some AMD engineers from what it sounds like. And I don't remember how NVIDIA handles this. I think NVIDIA just has better voltage regulation. So that's part of it. And for some reason, AMD cheaps out on a couple of those things and just over-engineers the card so it can handle the voltage. But also, AMD builds their cards that they tend to sell to. Like literally, Vega was sold. My Radeon 7 is literally just a disabled Pro 7. Like It is literally what they're selling to the professional market. And the professional cards need to last at one voltage, at one fan speed for 10 years straight. And so they tend to overvolt them so for reliability and then just also do that for the gaming cards. That's the argument that I've heard they're doing. And they should probably be considering doing some either because over time they will lose stability at a certain voltage level. And so what they should probably be doing is updating their drivers to lower voltage over time while you have it or something. But they just don't do any of the stuff that NVIDIA does. Well, I would consider a 6800 XT to be a more efficient card than a 3080 in general. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And his overall question is about laptops too. You know, he's like asking which one's going to be better in laptops. And I think AMD has a real opening this year to have more efficient laptop cards finally, which they really haven't been competing in at all. I would love to see an eight core Zen 3 laptop with an RDNA 2 graphics card. I think that would be very competitive. You're going to, baby. (laughs) <laughs> Jesse seven nine five writes in and he says, "Do you think RDNA two will be relevant in four K medium or ray trace gaming for years to come?" Well, I would argue it almost isn't now. Um, he goes, "Or will RDNA three provide another great performance uplift, just like Zen two to Zen three, and annihilate RDNA 2's relevance?" So I guess he's kind of asking two questions. Well, it, AMD claimed at the launch of RDNA 2, that RDNA 3 is already in the pipeline and is another leap forward in performance. It would be hilarious Mm. if RDNA, you know, NVIDIA has been on top for so many years. It's kind of the same thing with Intel. NVIDIA has been on the top for so many years and they've been overcharging for the cards and raising the price points. If RDNA 3 comes out 
and kicks the 40 series butt and actually becomes the performance crown. If AMD actually has the best CPU and the best GPU at the same time, I will, yeah, I will laugh. I will (laughs) find that to be very funny. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at their roadmap, RDNA 2, 50% more performance per watt over RDNA 1. Of course, you know, they probably cherry pick that a little bit, but they say the same thing about RDNA 3. So I would argue, well, I don't expect RDNA 3 to double RDNA 2 performance. I expect it to probably increase by 50%. I actually do. So, and with that, I think that's when you're really going to look at a graphics card that just laughs at any current games at any settings. Finally, you know, if I can get a 50% jump in one generation, mm-hmm. you just got to double it technically the past few years. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we'll just have to see what NVIDIA Hopper is. I think it's something that NVIDIA is very aware of that they have to watch out for. Um, Bill Strosberg writes in and says, quick and simple, any news on AMD's DLSS like software? I keep getting asked about this every single podcast I do. There's always a DLSS question. It's the only thing I'm waiting to know before deciding which one I will buy. So anything would be really helpful. Release date, month and quarter. And all I keep saying is AMD engineers tell me it's going, it it should be good. They say it's not the exact same thing. It's, it's, a slight visual quality loss for substantially more performance and hopefully support in more games. And that's all they can say. No timeline. We don't know when it's coming out. (laughs) So uh, I tentatively would say, I would guess they probably want it to be ready around the 6700 XT launch, but I honestly have no proof that's going to happen at all. Do you know what I want more than uh, a DLSS equivalent from AMD? Well, it's not the same thing, to be clear, but it's their answer to it. Yeah. I understand. I want a video encoder decoder equivalent to NVIDIA's. Yeah, I, I have, you know, for the applications I use, Vega handles everything well. But I do know that if I were to upgrade, I really have to take a much closer look at NVIDIA right now for how good its encoder is. And that's something I'm key to test as well if I were to do a 3080 versus 6900 XT impression, uh, um, impression, which brings me to Awakened Gains question. He says, I think an important part of tech review or hardware reviews that is missing is what a hardware can actually do and odd edge cases for things you can cover. For instance, everyone talks about GPU frame rate performance, but not how many streams of video input you can decode at once in OBS, or how live stream setups can be done. Um, the Intel GPU for iPhone decode, the NVIDIA GPUs takes on reframing, and the CPU does live recording. There are tons of interesting real-world hardware situations you can do on an RTX 2060 versus 1050 Ti versus MX250, for example. I think a lot of people learn by trial and error and get, in fr- and get frustrated. That type of content would prove as a better real-world testing, I think, than just percentage in games. Like, can your GPU actually do streaming now? Can it actually do encoding now? Um, Do you think that the way people do reviews should change? Like, what does this actually give you that the other one doesn't, you know? More so than 20% more or something. Rogue, what do you think about that? Do you want to see uh, those kind of tests in, in video card reviews? Is that information more useful than an average frame rate chart? To be honest, playing the game will tell you more about it than any benchmark will. <laughs> but people run to the benchmarks. They do. Before they play the game. So Voting with our clicks, you know. It's like, 
I think it would help more, but people tend to just, you're right. They tend to just click for the benchmark and skip it. And they go, look, benchmark, but benchmark and real, uh, two completely different things. Yeah. I would love to see like the, um, like the click rate on those table of contents for like the benchmark sections of reviews. And then like the power usage and all of the, uh, like encoding stuff, because there's stuff, there are benchmarks for that as well, but I, I bet no one clicks them. <laughs> Jordan writes in and says, Hey, Tom, Dan, and tech deals, aside from just fidelity and fluidity improvements, do you foresee any particular technology releases in the next few years, hardware or software that will meaningfully change the kinds of experiences we get in games? The PS5 shows potential, but I'm specifically talking about the PC gaming space. I remember in the Xbox 360 era, we started getting games like Bioshock and Red Faction with highly dynamic and interactive environments, which blew me away. But a game has never quite wowed me in that way since, relatively speaking, apart from graphics quality. Love from the UK. That is a great question. And it's a very fair point because throughout the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, we were getting new kinds of games and new game environments that weren't physically possible a, a tech generation before. But mm -hmm. would you not say that the past 15 years have basically been iterations? Much more iterative than the previous 15 years, for sure. Yeah, you get new you get new experiences, but no, it's not it's not going from 2D to 3D. <laughs> For, for me, the biggest one that felt like an entirely new thing, and you could argue it's far more iterative than before, was like Red Dead Redemption 2, where to me, that felt like every minute of it was the quality of a smaller game, and yet it was a 200-hour opus, you know? I had never seen something like that where every side mission, every random character I ran into felt like it was written, you know, like a Hollywood movie. And that's only possible on what they can do now. You, should, you certainly aren't putting that on the PS3, you know, <laughs> like so. But besides that, you know, yeah, yeah. The biggest change I want to see is I want to see worlds that are real. And by real, I mean, if you walk around current, most current open world, I would argue all current open world games, so long as you walk and go where the game developers intended for you to go, the world looks right, the perspectives mm -hmm. are set, the, the horizon distance works, the facades of the buildings and everything is right, but you can't really go into everything. And it's like weird, because even in games that have destructible environments, that wall's destructible, but that mailbox is invincible. <laughs> and Your car gets stuck on up twig sometimes why this twig and not that one not if in all games you, some games have done that correctly but it's rare now if you walk two inches outside of the predefined world that they want you to walk through as open world as they make it feel if you step outside the path that you're really meant to go down the illusion is shattered extremely quickly mm -hmm. it's like if they turn on the lights at space mountain in, in disney world it, it it all of the fantasy is gone instantly it, it's like what the this, mm. this is it. Um, you never want to see those rides with the lights turned on because it's a solution very I quickly. Yeah. Uh, I would like to say uh, a taste of it is the, uh, have you guys seen the Unreal Engine 5 demo? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Couldn't miss that, it that month. <laughs> when they were able to zoom in 
and mm-hmm. and and there continues to be detail to the per pixel level, and there are literally billions of triangles of detail, and it can be the full animated movie version of detail that is dynamically scaled down. Yeah, so, so that you cool. literally can walk up to that rock, and then you can zoom into that rock, and you can pick up a random rock, and it looks like a real rock, even though they never intended you to. And if you could throw a grenade over against mm. those rocks and it creates a hole in the rocks or it creates a blast mark that stays mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or picture fallout as cool as fallout can be at times too many of games like fallout what i want is a fallout world where everything stays the mm-hmm. entire world is tracked there's some degree of that happening you could almost argue minecraft kind of does that with how you build things and it's always tracked forever but it's in a very limited way I mean, I don't. I, I guess I just kind of want to jump in and add my opinion on this question overall, which is, I think when you looked, I mean, like I love to say, like the PS2 was like three hundred dollars in an era where a high-end gaming PC was three thousand. People forget that before two thousand, PCs were so expensive. Um, having said that, the PS2 was a lot weaker, like a lot weaker. <laughs> like it couldn't run half of the, like, and so when we moved to the 360, for example, now we could, I would argue, make almost any game, but there were severe limitations. I mean, look at what Fallout 3 looks like on that system, for example. It, it looks last gen. And I think once they got to the PS4, they had enough RAM. And I think now we have enough everything. So I actually do think, and I've said this multiple times, that this gen, we will kind of like the 360 era, have fundamentally new games again. I I don't really think there was that much new you could do on the PS4 compared to the 360. It just could do it way, 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 way better and do more things at the same time. It actually had more than half a gig of RAM. I would love a Mass Effect game where I could just stop playing in the middle of it and build a house. (laughs) Uh, it's what they're kind of trying to do with No Man's Sky. See, the problem is, though, like, for example, GTA Five. I've heard that the script for all of the characters, all of the side missions, all of the different branching trees of decisions you can make is 50,000 pages long. Or so if or I think that's what it was said so that are like uh, lines or something like it was like 10 Hollywood movies. And so that's GTA Five. And that's just California. That's not, I'm sorry, that's not even just California. That's just a size down one city and then like an outside smaller town or something. Like when you look at it that way, it's like, well, so keep in mind how much work that would take for a Mass Effect that actually has all of that. You know, it's very hard to do. And I think they're trying to do a GTA 6. I think they're trying to do like half of the United States in GTA 6 or something. But I would like a GTA 6 where if I, the everything in the world is tracked. When you get out of range of something, it's gone. They don't exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I, well, I, I, I have more RAM, more storage, more everything. Well, so, but with the current gen consoles, the fact that it's on an SSD, especially in the case of the PS5, what they can do is what I've heard described to me by one developer is so, like, for instance, the game Portal, right? You shoot a portal and it's not actually rendering the outside world in the portal you see in that game. What it's doing is rendering a duplicate box with nothing happening in it. So it looks like it is. And if you'll notice in portal, it's all white square room. So it's really easy to replicate a reflection because nothing's even happening. Anyways, if you were to actually make a portal game in GTA five, 
the processing power required, because now you're making like your processor re- like handle all of the AI in one part of the map and all of the AI in the other area of the map at the same time. And then also, how are you going to handle that when a hard drive moves like 20 megabytes a second of data? Like it's impossible. With what current would it take gen- to make a GTA game where all the characters are simulated all the time? Well, it would take a console that is 10 times more powerful CPU and, uh, you know, has almost 800 gigabytes of like slow RAM, which is what we have with current gen. Like, so that's what I, that's what I was getting to is the developer said, as long as the AI isn't too hard to run because everything's stored on an SSD and can instantly be streamed. And it has like that we might actually be able to do that this gen. It's possible now. Whereas before they still were just like, all right, now it's just not in 200 P, you know, like, yeah. I, I, I think it is possible now. So I guess I'll just put one final question here. For 2021, what are you hoping for most in the gaming space? And what, I, I don't know, like, you know, like what, what products are you looking most forward to and what are you hoping for the most to happen? Rogue, go first. Um, I'm looking forward to Intel getting their graphics cards right. That's what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to everything being in stock. Everything. <laughs> Oh, I'm looking for there to be no pandemic. Can I wish that into existence? I think, I think that's number, number one. one. I think that's number one for all of us. Uh, I would pick that over 10 think, Intel product launches. <laughs> well, that'll yeah, fix that's... the supply issue because then everyone will be working and not playing games. So it's a mute point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I agree with you on the Intel, like in terms of actually a conventional answer. I think the Intel graphics card launches now. Like, look, I, I look. AMD steadily ramping up RDNA 2 supply based on what I'm told. So I, I, I don't really have any worries about the meeting demand by quarter two. And I think NVIDIA, it's a little bit more of a wild card because I just don't know how much of NVIDIA's problems. I can never know how much of it is Samsung isn't as good as TSMC. I assume that's not most of it, but I don't know. But I think they'll get some of their supply under control as well. And at a certain point, they have to because the people who will buy it We've already bought it and then they'll have more supply. So I think that'll be figured out. And so at the end of the day, I think I think it, I think we have CPUs that are strong enough. I don't need a stronger CPU. I, I don't need, you know, I, I really think I want Intel to be aggressive and succeed so that we have mid-range graphics cards again. Because if if they don't, I I don't know what's going on. I don't know that we will anymore. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And I think people, and the one thing I would say too about that whole thing I said about like SSDs and the consoles, I do think that that is coming to PC sooner than people think too. I think by the end of next year, you're going to look at similar things already working. And you already see SSDs being required on PC. I, I just think that it's not the standard now. And really the biggest thing holding back those games isn't that we can't do it soon. It's that most people still have a 580 and a hard drive. Do you think that uh, Gen 4 or greater NVMe drives will become required anytime soon for games on the PC? I could see it in a few years. I don't think I don't think it will happen next year, though. The way I've heard it described is the faster I.O., the less bottlenecks you have in streaming and assets from an SSD, the better performance you're going to get. And that's what they talked about in the Unreal Engine 5 demo. I think people... Like, will they require it? I think they're going to require a SATA SSD. They already kind of do in a lot of games. And I think they'll require NVMe 3.0 
in some games in about a year or so. Uh, but I think what's going to happen is they'll say minimum specs S- SATA SSD recommended Gen 4. And if you have a slower SSD, you might get more texture popping if you try to run the higher settings and you're just going to have to turn down spe- settings. Like, I think that's what's going to happen is uh, developers keep saying faster SSDs, faster IO is the same as faster performance now that we're finally like not focusing on. We're focusing on storage the same way we do CPUs and GPUs. So that, that I just think it's like, it's not so much a requirement so much as if you want the best performance, you're going to need it. Well, there you go. <laughs> but we will see if I'm full of shit. In two years. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for having us on. <laughs> yes, yeah. of course. We really enjoyed having you on for the end of year series. I'm sure we'll have you on again. Uh, I mean, it sounds like if we wanted to, we could do three podcasts in a row because we just keep talking. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I would say thanks. You know, have a great Christmas holiday season. Uh, try not to die, you know, is a good w- well wishes I say to everyone these days. Uh, I don't know, Dan, any last thoughts from you? Uh, well, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. I hope you guys have a great holiday. And my dog really wants to be pet right now. So, <laughs> thanks, guys. We appreciate Thank it. You. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. And at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Matthew McMullen, Tello, Steen, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I Love You, Lynn, Jim Bollocks, Joshua Alvin, Muhammad Al-Khwari, Frederick Lau, James Crass, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Brad Bedlin, Phil S., Courtney Elliott, The Ninth Dude, Greg Grenegar, TSPCFS, Chrysantine, Travis Gooding, Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Fatboy Dezeru, Daniel Hyde, 
D. Kunky, Christoph Novak, Jack O'Neill, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Juan Garcia, Master Andy Juan, My Name Is Nobody, Isaiah Gosner, Lethros, Telos, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchuk, Jacob Barber, Exodiac, Santana, Matthew Lane, Joe McMorrow, Jane Rauner, Robert Duck, Street of Full, Allie Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Sean Grant, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Hartforum.com, Sam MacArthur, Total Silo, Sulconar, Michael Costa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, Kerry Baldino, Endless Loggins, Tom San Filippo, Justice Brennan, Ivan K., Trevor Powers, Stu, Elenia, Nan Nan, Daniel Nishbaugh, Franco Frederick, Hardware Numbers, Alex Carastillo, Dark Rain 2049, Leighton Perry, Joseph Caraman, Carlos Valdez, Carnivore Bear, Luca, Zebra Zebra, Zicky, Martin Porchegi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Garanadin, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canoes Jr., Christopher Foster, Kiwi Phil, Wacky Megan, Sarah Light, Anthony Gareffa, Matthew Griffin, Alex, Joseph Loria, Carl Marco, Deke, Cheesy Ramen, Raul Abeneni, Suzuna Maria, Jake Dude, 23, Brian Riggleman, Chris Williams, Ryan Deniskew, Dave McCoy, Falco Malev, Messiers, Paul Bogdan, Morton Svensson, Andrew, Thomas Summers, Maurice Courtois, Matthew J. Link, Mose from Oz, Mai Sharona, Derek File, Roman, Jacob Stankiewicz, Jack Pym, Wakir Khan, JBG, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Charles Antoine Futeau, Peter Moore, Chris Licata, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, James Kitchens, Kevin Chen, Shakir, Dean Depatsky, Holden, Moby, Matthew Lazier, Ruben Marr, Luis Correa, John Jameson, Eshil Dar Epstein, Tim Robbins, and R. Pete Sharma. And of course, thank you to Sahara for the music.